There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Hey everyone, you might notice a slight tonal difference in what's being recorded right now. Perhaps as though it's being recorded on a different device than normal. Well, it is. That's because what I'm going to say right now is so important, we wanted it to stand out. And Phil the Engineer came up with this brilliant idea to do it on a phone. Here's the message. Season 10, part 2 of our Netflix show, Meat Eater, is upon us. Drops February 2nd on Netflix. So get ready to binge. Pull up the couch to the old tube, get your pins dialed, cock your spear guns, whatever you got to do to feel prepped. February 2nd, hot episodes of Meat Eater on Netflix. Now, our regularly scheduled podcast coming to you from the frigid as hell, North Dakota. All right, Jay Siemens has a... um as a way of introduction, tell what you got going on in that bucket next to you. I'm sitting beside a which, bucket. Which you don't know what, because you live in Canada, you don't know that, that what that thing is called. Well, you told me it's called a lug, but we kind of call everything totes. Any sort of plastic container is a tote. And no, I, a tote is a bag. Well. Plastic container is not. All right. We're calling it a lug. It's a tote or a lug. And we currently have a northern pike, speared by Steve, a white bass, caught by myself, a perch, caught by Mandy, and the walleyes, I think, kind of a, a group effort, but uh, we're doing a little catch and cook shore lunch later today, so I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, that that northern, um, when he was frozen, he didn't give off his northern smell. 
No, but now when they thaw that like the it's, slime, it's it's amplified. It's ideal to not let the fish freeze rock solid between you know catching them and uh, cleaning them, but we we let that happen. So, but when it's negative fifty with wind chill, it's kind of hard to do that. Yeah, it's hard to avoid. They freeze like from the shack to the truck. Oh yeah. Introduce yourself a little more, Jay. Uh, well, and if you want, if you want, you can do your like your plug. My plug. All right. Plug. You can do like. You, well, you, you damn sure better plug Canadian Angle. Yep. Okay. Plug that. Uh, you can plug like a, another thing or two maybe. But then mainly uh, the fish fry. Okay. Yep. And then plug the battery you gave me. Perfect. And then you'd be all taken care there of. There you go. Then I'm good. They don't <laughs> even talk for the rest of the podcast. Uh, yeah, my name is Jay Siemens. I, uh, I'm an ex-fishing guide in Canada turned videographer and... Uh, I got a series on the Mediator YouTube channel called The Canadian Angle. Kind of a, a, you know, angle, being a videographer, but angle, angling, fishing. It's play on words. Yeah, there you go. Chester hadn't picked up on that, I'm sure. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, season uh, season two just started. Chester's like, oh. <laughs> it all makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, season two just uh, started dropping, and it's an ice fishing uh Ice fishing season with uh, fits into what we're doing right now, but uh, yeah, I make YouTube videos, um, and I uh, got a little got a little side hustle with my buddy Josh, and we make uh, a fish batter called Catch and Cook. So it's uh, can Americans buy it? We can buy it online, catchcook.net. We're slowly getting to the American retail space, but uh, I mean, I'm always eating fish, so it's like you know what, let's uh, let's make something of our own. So we got spices to compete with meat eater. We got some batter. And uh, oh, batter some some folding flay knives. So I'm not a batter guy. Batter, well, I mean batter coating. I mean we got the beer batter. This is like more of a just a flour yeah. based coating. But. Yeah, yeah, coating, breading, flour or corn. Uh, there's flour with some some cornmeal and some other hmm. secret ingredients in there. Hmm. And uh, I gifted Steve. Steve was eyeing up some of my gear, and I got a little. It's called a power box, and it's a lithium battery in like a little hard sided case. Folks should know about this. Yeah, it's great for camping. I got it's nothing good. to gain here either. No. I mean, I gained that battery. <laughs> you gained a free <laughs> battery box. Um, yeah, it's got a couple of USBs, a cigarette lighter. I'm always filming ice fishing, camping, whatever, right? So, you know, charge your phone 20 times off at once, but Dakota Lithium Power Box, and uh, I'm a battery guy. Yeah, little I, plastic box. You are a big battery guy. I notice you like plugging stuff in and unplugging it. My, my fear is <laughs> going fishing or showing up at a shoot and my battery's being dead, or your your live scope battery dying halfway through your day, so. Yep. If hey. you're If you're an avid angler, you kind of got to be a battery person. Yeah, a lot of batteries going on. Like, especially ice fishing, there's a lot of batteries going on. A lot of, like, trying to keep batteries alive yep. in the cold. And then, if you're fishing out of a boat, open water, a lot of batteries going on. <laughs> trying or, to keep all your stuff around. That, that's made right in North Dakota. Uh, not made, but their they're company's based out of, uh, out of North Dakota, yeah. Dakota Lithium, cool name. Yeah. You can start a rock band called Dakota Lithium. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get back to Seth big time, because he's got a lot of boat stuff we got to talk about. Yeah. A lot of boat dealings. Well, I might be selling deal. Seth. Oh. I might be selling Seth my boat. Actually, we're doing some dealings off uh, off air. Yeah, off oh, air dealings. We'll, yeah, we'll roll it into the boat talk, and then you, we got to talk were? about this little project <laughs> we got called Seth Side Hustle. Yeah, but this is going to get me in a lot of trouble with Tracy because she doesn't like it when we preview uh, to start promoting things that don't yet exist that then wind up for some reason being impossible to do. I, but I just I, can't see an obstacle. I can't foresee this being impossible. Seth's little hustle. Yeah. It's going to be called. <laughs> It'll be a drop down. If you go to the uh, the meteor.com, you'll find a little drop down. It says Seth's little hustle. <laughs> yep. 
Man, introduce yourself. Now, I, whatever aspects of yourself, because there's sort of like you have like a dual. You have a dual. You have a dual existence. I do. Uh, can you do? Can you talk about both the dual? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, I can. So by day, for the last 21 years, I am a biologist. I've worked for the state of Minnesota in multiple different divisions and capacities. I love my job. Uh, when I'm not at that job, I, I do wear multiple hats. Uh, I, I'm an avid angler. I'm also a tournament angler, so I fish year-round. I fish about 30 derbies a year, multiple species. Um, I ice angle, I guide, uh, I co-host a, a weekly radio show. I've had a, I co-host a TV show for the last seven years, and I donate about 200 hours a year to nonprofits and, and vets groups. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Talk about your last name, Yurik. Yurik. Yeah. Okay, I had, I want people to know I have nothing to gain in this transaction. Yeah. I'm about ready to lay out. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to gain. I had a Jackson kayak big tuna. Yes. A tandem sit-on-top fishing kayak for rough-ass water. And we had caught a lot of fish out of this thing. Yes. I... Got to where I was. I, I got to living in an area where I just wasn't using it as much because just local circumstances, and uh, which just wasn't applicable to where I was, and uh, gave it to Seth to use. And you used it a couple times. No, oh, I used it a lot. Used it a lot. Yeah, but then you went on to bigger. Then you yeah, not, just then you got you got like other boats and I well houses. I used that. I used that a lot. Kelsey and I would use it floating several rivers around. Montana, but it's not like a great river. No, it's an open water boat. It's an open water boat. So we, yeah. we ended up just getting an old town canoe and then um we didn't need the it's a sweet boat. The kayak anymore. It's got like chairs in it, it's got a perforated little live well. It's not aerated, but you can put fish in there and just as you move around it circulates water, keeps them alive real good. Yeah. I used to use that thing all the time. Yeah. It works great. Probably great not tournament ready, that live well. No, not tournament ready. No. no. It's got an no. anchor system that I personally rigged up. Sweet anchor system. Yep. Um, it's got everything. So you go look for yourself what a Jackson kayak big tune is worth. I don't know what the hell they're worth. They're worth a lot of money. Yeah, it's like a two grand, I think. So anymore. Ridge Pounder, we kind of peer pressured Ridge Pounder into buying it. Yep. For I don't want to get into sums, but for a fraction of its value. Because <laughs> he had a some cockamamie plan by which he was gonna come retrieve it. Yep. And bring it back to California with him, so he could become a surf perch master. Sorry, it's in Bozeman or where is it? It's, it's in at, Bozeman, Montana. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's at my house in Three Forks. So now the where things stand now. I was telling Chris the other day when we were sitting in the shanty. Um, I won off this deal because even though I gave it to Seth, once Seth sold it to Chris, I kept half that money <laughs> just because I felt that that was fair. And I don't know if you remember, but you gave me that kayak because I helped you hang that big-ass mirror in your house as soon as you walk in your door. Yeah. He got, he got that, too. <laughs> so I got my mirror hung up. So here's how I won. I got my mirror hung up. I got half the, the very, very modest sale price. Yep. Seth got half the modest sale price, but now he's getting bones. He's had to move it around a whole bunch. But here's the big winner in this whole thing right now, as stands, is Dirt Myth <laughs> is going to come take it, not pay anybody anything, 
and he's going to come take it and house it until Ridge comes and... Yeah, he's going to be the caretaker of it. So we're, all of us, all involved parties, we're in a shanty the other day, and I was telling Chris, just like you can't have a shanty full of whiners, you can't have a shanty full of winners. <laughs> Someone's got to lose. And he's, he's the loser. He's losing. He bought it, but he can't get it. Yep. So the reason I'm bringing this up to listeners is, if someone, you have to come get it out of Seth's yard. Yeah, if it works out, come get it in my yard. How? What do they have? Let's make it a deal. They got to give you... And then you're going to split the money with Ridge, or no? Yeah. You'd split it with him. You wouldn't just keep the money. No. So they're like bailing Ridge out. Yeah. We're basically doing all this work for Chris, and he's not doing shit. So you come and give. (laughs) You, the listener, send in a, you know where they should send it? Because you're in there anyway. Where do you want the emails to go? Info at SethSideHustle.com. No, because this is nothing to do with Seth's side hustle. Well, no, this is Seth. <laughs> this is, this, this is definitely the, a side hustle. The other project is Seth's little hustle. This is Seth's little side hustle. Yeah. Name a price and name how they're supposed to get a hold of you. Um, D, should they DM you? Yeah, uh, probably just a DM to my Instagram. Tell them what it is. At signs underscore west. Yeah. Um, so here's social media coming in again. Yep. Uh, send me a DM. And what was I forget the price we were we set. doesn't matter just just throw one out there yeah thousand bucks okay thousand bucks it that's like it's mint condition yeah mint condition big tuna Jackson kayak phenomenal boat in Seth's yard thousand bucks here's what happens with that thousand bucks Ridge Pounder gets his money back yeah. Then Seth decides whether he just hoards the rest for himself or splits the profits with him. It's up to Seth. Splits the profits with Chris? Yeah. No, I'm keeping it. You're just gonna <laughs> give him his money. You're just giving his money back. Yeah. You're gonna refund it. Yeah, I'll refund his money. But then you're keeping it. But yeah, the, the rest I'm keeping because that's that's Chris's that's what Chris owes me for storage. Moving. For moving it and for doing this whole transaction. Okay. That's fair. Big, big Tina. Here's the thing. You got to come pick some bitch up, though. We're not like, Seth's not involved. Seth yeah. will be like, it's in the yard. Come get it. Yep. And you can keep my sweet anchor. Yep. It's a fishy boat. It's seen a lot of fish. Yeah. I've fished it. All my kids have fished it. My ma's fished it. A lot of people fish that boat. It's like Das Boat. I, fish, I, was, I was one time out in the middle of Canyon Ferry. There was a bunch of walleye boats out there. And I was like, well, the bite must be on out there. Didn't have my boat that I have now. So I just, Kelsey and I paddled out there and we didn't catch any walleye. Well, but we didn't tell them that. Say like, say like, uh, we slew, we outfished all the walleye boats. Say something like that. We out, sell yeah, the damn boat. We out, well, it's not the boat's problem. He outfished all what the I'm big saying walleye is, boats. What I'm saying is the boat is capable to get out there with all the big walleye the big boats. Water. Uh, I just wanted it to be like a different, like the way the story was going, I was expecting it to be that you slayed. Well, we can say that, yeah. <laughs> okay, lay out the other boat issue you guys got. But let me, let, me, let me tee it up. Okay, tee it up. We've talked extensively over the last year about how uh, Seth and, and, and Chester the Midwester are going to go into the walleye tournament. Yes. And we're like sponsoring the walleye. They're making a show about them. We're going to make a show about them. Just winning. 
doing the every Montana. Tournament. So doing the Montana leg of the walleye tour. Correct. It's it's the Montana. It's like the Montana circuit. Montana walleye. Montana walleye unlimited. Okay. Puts it on. Doing the Montana competing. Yeah. In the Montana circuit. When you get after you do that weigh-in, are you allowed to keep those fish and eat them, or do you have to go dump them back in the lake? You got to release them. They're, they're, uh, well, this a, this year it's photo, it's picture and release. Huh. Yeah. Okay. I'm mildly less enthusiastic about this whole thing, but. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? That's eh, fine. Um, <laughs> I just thought you were gonna be out there. I thought you were gonna have a big old like one of like Jay's fish fry batter catch and cook. Big like you know how race cars have like tide or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah, how much to wrap your boat? I thought, let's be, do I that. thought your boat's gonna be wrapped in yeah, catch let's... and cook. You know what? Maybe catch and cook is gonna sponsor you guys. <laughs> well, you know, you we don't because they're gonna let them all go. Well, they'll probably kill one accidentally along the way. No, we can pre-fish. Yeah, we keep can... a couple. Yeah. You know. Okay, or let can... us know what a wrap is. We might not even need a boat sponsorship. We're just gonna buy you a boat. Catch and cook wrap. There yeah. we go. The little ja- those little racing jackets and stuff to say catch and cook on. It's going to be sweet. That would be sweet. It's going to be good for Jay. Uh, so you're going to do this thing. We're going to make a show. We're going to make a YouTube series, right? Yep. Help me out. Yeah. Do, pick make... it up. Sell me out. How many tournament do, stops? Don't, don't end it like you did the kayak story that ended. Yeah. So it's, it's four stops. Unfortunately, one of them is on the day I get married this year. So, so you get, so, so, doing, so you're gonna have to leave the wedding early. Well, we're we're only doing three. <laughs> we're doing three of the four derbies, which you only need to do three of the four to win angler of the year. Win angler of the year. Yeah, that's what you guys are gonna do. Yep. So yep. and so on. Oh, and did you, how did it wind up being that you got scheduled to get married? Just a uh, just bad coincidence. It's too late to move the wedding. Just uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Do you know I'm the I'm gonna be the preacher at Seth's wedding. Can I talk about that? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I'm gonna be the well, preacher at Seth's wedding. What's the date for that? Uh, June 25th. Do you have to do an online uh, like uh, certification? I got to look into that. I might check it right now, but... <laughs> look, <laughs> back, still check cost it right $15 and you're ready to go. Back to the walleye tour. June though. 25th. June 25th. So we, I have a... I got a 16 and a half foot... It's a sweet boat, Sylvan. But if anybody is familiar with Fort Peck... And is that one of the locations? One of the locations okay. that I'm yep. really excited about. Stop number one. It's Big Lake. Creek. And Seth and I could be out there in my little 16 and a half footer. And and I have a 16 and, foot, a 16 and a half foot crest liner that is not capable. Yeah, you guys are you guys are boat poor. We're underboated. You're ambition rich, yet boat poor. Yeah. The, <laughs> the wind could come up and we could be um It'd be like the Edmund trouble. Fitzgerald. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the legend lives on. <laughs> There'd be a song written about us. Lake Michigan steams like a young man's dreams. Yep. It's islands and bays are for sportsmen. Yep. Uh, these boys need a boat. We need a boat. If I owned a boat company, per, just per, just me speaking, if I owned a boat company and I was like, and I was sitting there with my marketing budget and shit, right? And I was like, what am I going to do this year for my marketing budget? And I'm like, on Instagram, checking out like, oh, here's a fishing influencer, whatever. And I caught wind of the fact that Seth and Chester are doing a Meat Eater YouTube series about their quest to become Angler of the Year. Yep. High production value. And the boat was going to be like the star. Like, you want to talk about impressions. The boat's like the main thing. You it's want like, to talk about impressions? I'm just saying, if I owned a boat company, 
I would be hitting Sats DM <laughs> or go to mu- what's yours? Musky Chat. Go to Musky Chat or just contact at com, and I would be like dropping a lot of, I would be calling people. How do they put it, Jay? You had it happen to you one time because of boat shortages. Oh, yeah. They, I'm trying to think what the, well, just they, they shuffle. Yeah, things move around. Shuffle yeah. priorities. Jay's watching his ass right now because he doesn't want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jay doesn't want to get implicated in any of this. I would be sitting there looking and I'd be like, man, I'm going to get those boys a walleye boat. That's right. We'll, uh, do it. Even though you got to understand it's going to be wrapped with catch and cook. I'm a, I'm a big Alumacraft guy. <laughs> Mandy's, Mandy's a Lund girl, so we both kind of, uh, I mean, I think it's, you got to be fishing in Alumacraft, but. Uh, hey, I like, I, I don't discriminate. I like at this both. point, beggars can't be choosers. Yeah. yeah. They both, need that boat. Both are great boat companies. A, a boat, a walleye boat company needs to come in and help these boys out so they can get out there and not be out in them little boats of theirs. Now, what if some walleye boat company came and said, you can use this boat for that, but then you got to give it back? That'd be fine. I mean, yeah. It's, oh, really? I mean, it's better. Yeah. See. It's better than nothing. But if we could be, you know, going to the Elite Series bass. To, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> then, let me lay out another thing. Let me lay out another thing for you. What I think would have to happen, just so you know, what I think would have to happen is I yeah. think we would have to do it like this. They'd probably wind up having to, they'd probably have to give the boat to Meat Eater. Yes. But it'd be like your guys' boat to use and take care of. Yes. And I would make it be that people had to come ask you permission to use it. Yes. But in the future, how would you guys divide the boat up? Would you fight over it? Between Chet and I? Yeah. Would you wrestle over it? Well, like 98% of the time when we're fishing, we're together. So you don't. So you I don't, don't, I don't foresee being it being a big issue. You could. You feel that you two could effectively co-own a boat. Yeah, that's tough. I'm. I'm pretty easy going. Yeah, same. I'd let Seth use it whenever. I mean, we share. We've. Yeah. You know what? Where you get into problems when you co-own stuff, and I've never had it because I own. I co-own the fish shack. We never had the issue. Yeah. Someone says, "I think we were we're due for a new boat, and we got we're gonna buy a new boat," and someone says, "Like I don't want to do that." Yeah. You know, we've never had that problem. We've always unanimously agreed on like priorities, but you could have a situation where one he's like, I want to redo the electronics package. The other one's like, man, I can't afford that. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So then like, well, I'm going to go do it anyway. And then you've, then now you have bitterness. Yeah. I could see this boat really ripping you two apart. No, (laughs) no, I can't. If it ever came to that, I'd be like, you know what, Seth, you can have that boat. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. Oh yeah. Have you, have you guys fished tournaments? What's Sorry, that? have you guys fished tournaments before? Is this going to be like nope, first is... tournaments and go right into the full tour? No, but you know what's really we've, cute? We fished out when other people were This is fishing. the cutest thing in the world. What? <laughs> it's the cutest thing in the world. There was a tournament going on, and they went and fished together that day. <laughs> <laughs> Just to see how they could... You, yeah. you weighed your own fish that day and saw you would have stacked up if you paid the entry? Oh, yeah. Yeah, if we... Well, we fished... And then we went and looked at the board. Yeah. And we would have done very well. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So if you may, if you have a boat company and you want to get on board with some winners <laughs> and get some high profile exposure, <laughs> these boys need a walleye boat. Here, Here's, up. Here's another thing. If any and this of the is green lit, dude. This is happening. It, I was in on the meeting. Any of the winnings, we're not keeping we're not taking well, that and yeah, putting get, it in our pocket. Too. Um, which, you know, would be nice. You're but, putting it up your nose. Uh, 
We we're actually. <laughs> that was joke. That was joke, Chester. <laughs> we're actually. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> we're not doing that. Definitely not doing that, Steve. We're gonna put it back towards um, like access, like a boat ramp improvements, um, fish cleaning station. On um, however, Seth and I. Yeah. You know, once some, we hash it some out, some project that had, that's related to the bodies of water where you guys, right? Yep. So some project related to access enhancement, mm-hmm. ramp improvements, like yep. you said, fish clean, whatever, whatever that you know, whatever, whatever, whatever the state is. needs, whatever whoever needs. We had a we had a guy write into us saying that there he he's a guy who owns a company that makes those uh, like prefab concrete outhouses because mm-hmm. we talked about like if a. Uh, Boat ramp needs a shitter or something. Be like something we'd invest in. And that, that guy was like, let me know. We'd be sponsored by Catch and Cook and... Boat ramp shit shitters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now you lost half the rap. Yeah. You're only going to get it. The, the port side is going to be Catch and Cook. The other side is going to be boat ramp shitters. <laughs> uh, I'll take so what let, I can get. Let, let me review this for boat manufacturers. Here's what you're getting. Massive impressions when the show comes out. Yep. Um, you're helping uh, access. If, if they win some uh, some loot, you get that. You're tied to that generous gesture because they're not pocketing any of the loot. Yep. Um, I can tell you one day you can use the boat if you want. You can just borrow it back on Seth's wedding day. He's not going to be using it. Yep. So you could do a walleye trip. Boat's already up in Montana. Do a walleye trip 25th of June. No yep. problems. No conflicts. <laughs> Um, they can come fish with us anytime. They oh, want. I'll throw this in. That's priceless. I'll yeah. throw this in. Here's another thing. This is that has a lot of value. We will talk about that boat on this show ten times. Oh wow! And enormous value on my personal Instagram. How many times? That's it, my, in my whole Instagram will just be around that boat. Okay, I'm, that, just, I'm just lending you my boat. I want Phil to install summer. that whistle I can't do. <laughs> I'm just the, lending the, you my the, boat. <laughs> I want Phil to install that astonishment whistle. We will spend so much time on that boat. You know how to do that whistle? Chat. Like when you're astonished? Oh, yeah. We'd probably get a, like a Wi-Fi hotspot on that boat and just work on the boat. I spend a certain amount of time in my boat that's not as much as I'd like because of windy days. I can't get out there on windy days. Man, I think the boat manufacturers are going to be beating your door down, dude. I think we're just going to cut this out. I'm just giving you my boat. <laughs> see, that's how that's how compelling this whole thing is. Yeah, yeah. no, I see, I see the value. <laughs> like we're going to sell a lot of catch and cook. We're gonna... <laughs> there uh, you go. Okay, you ready to move on? That that covers boat news. Now people yep. are probably so excited about the walleye boat they forgot about the big tuna kayak. But remember, yep. Uh, vaccinating zoo animals. Wow. This has been going on for quite a while, but I want to cover it. You <laughs> I didn't like know the that transition? Was a thing. You, no, yeah. You like the transition there? That was a hard smooth. transition. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking Real of walleye smooth. boats. <laughs> Speaking of walleye boats, vaccinating zoo animals. This caught my eye. There were uh, a picture of uh, where they're fixing to vaccinate some stuff for COVID. The Phoenix, I was reading an article where the Phoenix, Arizona Zoo is the latest to vaccinate animals that are. Uh, likely to get COVID because of close contact with humans. I didn't know this. Um, Nebraska's Lincoln Children's Zoo, they lost three snow leopards to COVID. Really? Yeah. So they worked up, uh, 
who's this outfit that worked up this uh, Zotus? Zotus, a global animal health company based in New Jersey, worked up uh, some kind of vaccine, donated doses for the zoos. They got authorized emergency use for endangered species. So they've been vaccinating uh, Sumatran tigers, jaguars, African lions, hitting them with a dart gun. Huh. For those unvaccinated folks that better watch out, sometimes people, the government's just going to come over. Dart gun. No. <laughs> yeah, that's a good conspiracy to start. Because I was, work, I worked up another conspiracy. I'm gonna start like I, this. Is kind of just a fun one to start about how to stay warm in cold weather, um, like a physiology thing. And then we could work one up that we heard like all those black helicopters that were gonna do like you know New World Order. They're now just using them to vax people who don't who won't get vaxed with trank darts. That's what happened to Chester's cousin. Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. Chester. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> They've been, did I say African lions with a, with a dart? Um, Bornean orangutans, emperor tamarins. They're hitting the fruit bats. That seems, that makes sense to me. Egyptian fruit bats, armadillas, sloths. That must be a pretty tiny dose in a bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you figure, how, who, it'd be interesting who calculates that out. Uh, at that zoo, the Phoenix, Arizona Zoo, they've, 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 uh, They've needled 75 animals. I w- I, I'm going to put this on my Instagram, a picture of a jaguar they're doing. And I had the comment on, uh, as what I'm going to put on Instagram is a comment about, I could picture it causing, creating some real soul searching at PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. They probably will have to have a meeting about whether they like vehemently oppose or vehemently support. Yeah. Because... They're down on zoos anyway. They're down on pet ownership, right? So how do they feel like this animal has no say? Like they don't like um, sexual mutilation of animals when you when you cut their nuts off and stuff. Yeah. Maybe they do. I don't know. But um, yeah. Like, are they? How do you spin that in that org? Good, good question. Like, are they like pissed or do they like it? Because you, one could argue, one could say, hey, man, it's not the Jaguar's fault that he's in the zoo. That sucks for him. They shouldn't be able to do that. But since he is there, the least you can do is keep him from dying, catching COVID. Like, that's an approach. Or it'd be, the other approach would be, this is yet another example of us forcing our will on animals without their consent, you know, consent. Yeah, they'll have some internal meetings about that. I feel like they should dial me in for those meetings. <laughs> I'd be like, listen, man, I know you and I got our differences, but I'm very interested in this one. <laughs> and we should hack. We, uh, I'd like to help hash this one out. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. After we did our episode, which one of you guys, I can never remember who was on these shows. Were you guys there for Doug and Heffelfinger? No. We were there with... On no. The... Uh... The podcast? It was called Talking About Things That Are Not Sexy to Talk About. Yeah, no, that, that was episode. That was Spencer and who else was there? Not, I don't know. Not us. Not us. <laughs> well, in the in the episode Talking About Things That Are Not Sexy to Talk About, uh, I talked about Doug sending me mean text messages and trying to start a fight with me over text. And Doug said he wasn't trying to be mean. 
It's just his text messages sometimes seem mean. And he says he wish he, he said he needs to be better about moderating his tone on text messages. Emojis help. Yeah, but I, 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 I refuse. To use emojis? There's no way in the world. You've used, didn't you say thumbs up was like one you, time. You, were, you didn't care or you were pissed off? Like no, when you said I that. tried the thumbs up one time and felt so bad I could barely sleep that night. <laughs> I will not, I don't, when I text, I don't use abbreviations. I spell everything out. I punctuate everything. Basically, if you imagine, my texts are the opposite of Trump's tweets. I don't, like, everything is, like, perfect in my text message. I try to make it perfect in yeah. my text messages. I don't use emojis. But the I don't tone. like when I get them, but my daughter knows I hate emojis, so she'll now and then get on her mom's phone and just send, send me, like, five-page streams of, uh, of emojis. Um... You got it. I mean, the, let me tell you. Oh, go ahead. No, like voice. You seem like the type of guy that do voice messages. Busy guy. Then no, you can get your tone that. across. You don't do that either. I don't do that because I'm afraid there'd be a typo in it. No, no, no. But like straight, straight voice. Like not even, not even voice the text. Just like voice memos. No, I don't do those. You don't do that. No. No, but you know what's funny about? Um, here's another story about that. Okay, put this one on hold about Doug. I'm gonna tell another Doug story. We laughed for like two years about this because Doug was doing. there's some argument with Doug Dern. I can't remember what it was. And Doug was doing like talking into the text and Doug was trying to settle a disagreement with someone saying that he would arm wrestle them for it. But the way his voice thing put down is that he was going to farm wrestle them for it. (laughs) And we had a lot of laughs about what exactly (laughs) farm wrestling Doug and mom. Like what farm wrestling means, and we came up with a lot, of, a lot of definitions about what a farm wrestling match might look like with Doug. Like never go to Doug's for farm wrestling. Um, there's an app, folks. Folks should know about this. It's called Our Fam. Okay, Our Family Wizard Communication App. A guy wrote in, I deal with this problem of of tonality in text messages. I deal with this problem all the time in the context of parents who can't seem to communicate nicely with one another. This is divorced parents in dealing about their kids. So divorced parents taking care of kids. I deal with this problem all the time in the context of parents who can't seem to communicate nicely with one another and the court will often have them use the Our Family Wizard communication app with the tone meter feature turned on. OurFamilyWizard.com slash knowledge dash center slash tips dash tricks slash parents dash website slash tone meter. It'll be in the notes. You got that written down? (laughs) Yeah, that was easy. (laughs) And you can get that app. Analyze your tone with tone meter. And they make suggestions about how to make it seem nicer. Watch this transition. Correction about gunshot wounds and tampons. Okay, we're talking about... (laughs) (laughs) We covered pretty heavily uh, people writing in about plugging up gunshot wounds with tampons. Apparently, in the medical community, this is frowned upon. First responders, military people are implored not to do this. This fellow that wrote in goes, it is worrying that more people are talking about the improper, in this case, use of a tampon to control massive bleeding. 
It can be both dangerous due to debris for getting debris further into the wounds, but in a pre-hospital environment, it could be fatal. Tampons are not sterile. How is that true? Tampons are not sterile, and an article in the Emergency Medicine Journal highlights that when it comes to life-threatening bleeding, a tampon cannot provide the surface area or the pressure required to control massive bleeding. Tampons absorb blood. They do not provide any hemostatic assistance. The average tampon can absorb 9 milliliters of blood or about 2 teaspoons. Life-threatening bleeding occurs when there is a greater than 1,500 milliliters of blood. Once it absorbs its max, wouldn't it just Doesn't still do. keep that hole plugged or no? Apparently not. So just... A tourniquet or hemostatic dressing is preferred to control massive bleeding. Regular gauze may be used, but it needs to be in sufficient amount. The American College of Surgeons and Stop the Bleed program recommends when you do not have hemostatic dressing, sterile dressings, or a tourniquet, use clothing to pack a wound. Shirt, pants. Even if it's covered in body sweat, it's more likely to provide hemorrhage control than a tampon. Huh. What brought this up is we were decorating the family Christmas tree this year, and our kids were asking about these little snowman ornaments that my wife had, and they were like wondering what it was, and I'd never seen them before, but they're like little snowmans made out of tampons as a Christmas ornament. (laughs) (laughs) What? And then somehow it came up. Yeah. Huh. My uncle one time at a boat ramp uh, sliced his leg real bad on the hitch. and Walking around the back of the truck? Yep. Yeah. And used... That's uh, deadly. It's deadly to walk around the back of a truck. Used a maxi <laughs> pad on the cut and still went fishing, but... And he lived? Yeah, he's still living. Yeah, put that in your... Whoever rode in, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Chester's uncle's alive and well. <laughs> <laughs> Do we need to get to the root, though? Where did he get the maxi pad from? Yeah. Like, yeah. why did he have this maxi yeah, pad? Chester. Where did this come from? Like, is this part of his, like, emergency kit that he keeps with him? Like, no, just in just case? He just got to digging around in the glove box. It's digging it's around his, in the truck, and I'm sure it was kit. his yeah. wife's. Or, I didn't ask him. I'd be like, Uncle Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Uncle Pete on the show. We'll talk all about it. We'll do a whole episode about this. Uh, a guy wrote in. See, he made up this word. But he, we were talking about, somehow this came up on an episode a long time ago of a guy that wrote in that, uh, oh, you remember those boys? Remember when uh, Luke Combs was on the show and those guys were talking about some friend of theirs that when he uses the restroom, he needs to take all of his clothes off? Yeah. This is a real thing. It's like a psychological disorder. Yeah, I know someone like that. Yeah. This guy came up with a name called feces pantophobia. <laughs> well, he made the word up, but he said it's like a, it's an actual thing. It's like a this like intense fear of pooping on your pants, like contact with feces, and sufferers, sufferers <laughs> of which he is one. They take they they undress, and you say when he's pooping out in the woods, it's like he has still undress. Yeah. I have worries about it in the woods when you're wearing bibs and heavy clothing, and it's like, sure. I hope I don't poop back into my bibs. Yeah, it <laughs> I mean, happens. Well, not not yet for me, but we we had it. <laughs> careful. Dirt told a great. Was it Dirt told that story? Dirt told a great story on on the show years ago, or maybe not a while ago, about a guy he knows that um, came, he he was a heavy equipment operator, and one day he's in his 
equipment all day and he's smelling like the unmistakable smell of human feces. Oh. But he can't figure out the source. And he's checking his clothes and nothing makes sense. And eventually he realizes that he had landed one on his suspender. Oh. So it had got on his suspender right here, right? Oh, right by his nose. <laughs> so all day when he turned to the right, you know, but then when he dropped down, when he'd like drop his britches and everything, just try to investigate what went wrong. He never suspected that. <laughs> Needs an air freshener hanging off his ear. Oh. There was a guy. Oh, you'll, you'll appreciate this, Jay. He wrote, I am not the only one. A good buddy of mine that was with the Canadian Armed Forces. You're probably excited now, aren't you? A minute ago, I had to explain to Jay why Canadians lack that, um, <laughs> lack that American girl. Oh, yeah. We got right into it. <laughs> I felt attacked. <laughs> I am proud to be Canadian, but yeah. I love Canadians, man. Every time I go up to Canada, it's good people. I think North Dakotans are his nicest Canadians. Don't get any ideas about invading this here. I know it'd like... It wouldn't be nice if we could just... Yeah, could, yeah don't, don't, get, don't, don't get any ideas about Red Dawn and uh, North Dakota. Um, friend of the Canadian Armed Forces told me a story about when they were on maneuvers that required biosecurity suits to be worn for an extended period of time. A fellow soldier actually got... This is not the word he used, but we'll say poopy dab inside his suit and because of the nature of the maneuvers they were on had to wear that suit for 24 hours oh brutal he now will not poop in the woods without taking his pants off (laughs) i mean that's understandable (laughs) that's a scarring scarring 24 hours Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, 
You can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in. I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater. Make sure you use code MeatEater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. I was saying how I wanted to go around and like, you know, when you're driving down the road and they have like a sign that says like historical marker ahead. Yeah. And you pull over and it'd be like, at this site, the first grist mill was right. Opened in 1750. Um, I was saying they should do that where birds went extinct, but they do do that where birds went extinct. I didn't know this. The Lost Bird Project already did it. They've erected memorials to the Heath Hen, Carolina Parakeet, Labrador Duck, Great Auk, Passenger Pigeon. The Great Auk up in your neck of the woods there, Jay, up in Canada. The Heath Hen um, in New England. Carolina Parakeet down in Florida. The Passenger Pigeon in Ohio. The Labrador Duck in New York. All these little memorials. And then they sent some pictures of the various memorials in. They have a bronze statue of Martha, the last passenger pigeon, at her near the aviary where she died. It's funny how all hmm. of those are out east, like those memorials. Yeah, it's an interesting point. They dot the eastern seaboard. Yeah. Maybe they don't have a travel budget. <laughs> <laughs> Guy wrote in about cooking diaphragms. So someone wrote in saying that he's always cut the diaphragm off his big game harvest and left it with the gut pile. But then this is someone writing in. But then he got to thinking, why not eat the muscle since it looks like it could make a pretty decent-sized meal? Well, thankfully, um, this guy's probably been eating diaphragm his whole life and doesn't know it. So when you go and you get uh, flank steak, skirt steak right skirt steak is like skirt is diaphragm so it's like skirt is where the diaphragm hooks into the rib cage so when you're gutting a deer and you go to like when you're gutting the deer 
and you want to clear the diaphragm out so you can pass everything back and you trace the diaphragm along the wall, the rib, like that, that junction where the diaphragm kind of goes into a little mass of muscle that seems to be like glued up against the ribs, that skirt. And hanger is like the rear part of the diaphragm. So you've been eating that stuff your whole life. The problem is on deer, it's just not like big enough to mess with, but you get up into something like a moose, you can make, you can do like legit skirt steak off a moose. Kevin Gillespie goes on to say, you should also tell him that on larger animals, the chef, Kevin Gillespie, you should also tell him that on larger animals, such as bison, wildebeest, elk, there's another muscle that sits just below the diaphragm and helps it contract. Technically, it is the crura of the diaphragm, but culinarily, we know it as hanger steak, and it's incredible. Now, here's what I want to dig into a fair bit, because this has enormous implications. This just happened. Utah. So, a while ago, I hit the news that Arizona was banning trail cams during hunting season. Yep. Okay. Montana right now, you can't use tra- trail cams during hunting season that transmit a signal. So, that transmit messages. So, a divided Utah wildlife board voted to ban trail cam for hunting when these motion-activated devices are used to aid in the taking of game. Their use is, like, obviously proliferated all over the place. There are, there, I've seen stuff on social media. This is not the article I'm looking at, but just me talking. I've seen stuff on social media where guys will go to, like, a water hole in the Arizona Strip, and there'll be 24 trail cams hanging around. Um... Sometimes they're used, like, this is just speaking personally, sometimes their use is kind of like, you see some strange use of trail cams on public land, too. Uh, I, I was hunting turkeys with my kids in the area, but it was like a pretty popular hiking trail, right? And it's, game uses it, but it's through this kind of, like, big landscape funnel, through a little pass, and a lot of animals use it, but people use it all the time. And, like eyeball level it, there it is you know and you can't really go through the area like when you go through the area you're sort of like submitting to be photographed it's not even like in a sort of a discreet out of the way place it's just like and i remember going by it and i actually started having my kids i'm like you know what go around that way hmm. i just don't want like all my i don't like pictures of my kids like some guy's trail cam i don't know i uh yeah, that's kind of weird. I got it. I got a story that kind of ties these two together: the the pooping and the trail cams. Oh, that's great! Because yeah. why didn't you do that earlier? Well, I didn't. I didn't know the trail cam uh, topic was going to come up, but uh, my uncle Mark and I—that's a good explanation. We, <laughs> my uncle Mark and I, were coming back from hunting, and I was like, "Yeah, I just got to check this trail cam," and he'd been hunting the same property as me. So we we park and we walk, and all of a sudden his face just drops, and he's like, "You had a trail cam set there?" And I'm like, "Yeah, why? What's the big deal?" He's like. Oh, I, I did, uh, I did some business right over there, right in front of the trail cam the other day. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, trail cam pictures of him. Like, Is that right? Yeah. Can you send those to me? Nah, <laughs> I think I deleted those. <laughs> I had a trail cam behind our fish shack and my buddy pulled the card. I still haven't gotten the card back because his wife was peeing back there and he took the card. <laughs> um, now as I cover this piece, of, as I talk about this subject, I want people to know that I right now at this moment. Like, at this moment, I have a trail cam out on private land. 
Um, and I have a trail cam out on public land that I was fixing to go fetch, but haven't gone fetch, but it's not like a transmitting one. Okay. So I have one out. So is this, is this band just for public land Utah or is it just private and public during hunting season? Wow. Used to be used in the aid and the taking a game, but it goes, there's some other wrinkles of this that are really interesting. This, this band applies to cameras with internal storage memory as well as those that transmit images to the hunter's cell phone. The prohibition does not apply to private landowners monitoring their property and agricultural operations or municipalities participating in the urban deer program. But it does apply to most hunting on both private and public land. That's pretty straightforward rolled in with this which is very interesting is it's also banned this this, okay again this is something that arizona did and utah did these are not like these are these are very conservative states right these are uh you know this isn't you know if you heard about this coming no offense if it was like from new jersey you could picture someone being like that's not fair to the animals you know um in sort of the wrong way, but this is like very like an internal hunting dialogue. Yeah. This isn't, I don't think that like, I'm guessing I'm trying to find a way to, to, to express this more clearly. This isn't like in these States, I, I, I I suspect that it's not the case of non hunting individuals screwing with hunters. Yeah. Like in the case where you get like a ban on bear hunting, it's like, it's not coming from hunters. It's coming from, Non-hunters trying to dick with hunters. Yeah. This is like an internal hunting conversation in these states is, is, is my gut on this from what I've read about it. It's like a, it's a conversation among the hunting community. They've also, and this is really interesting. I want to dedicate these next few sentences to Spencer Newharf. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, Spencer always is such a pain in the ass about stuff. Yeah. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well, the other day while we were loading up, to, while we were getting ready to go pike spearing, I, did you notice me being on the phone? Yep. I was on the phone with Spencer Newhart. What was he being a pain in the ass about? About me saying to him, I'm like, I want to um, do a deep dive on our website. I want to have one of our, like a, like one of our sort of investigative writers yep. do a deep dive about what is the future of trail cam use. And he was like, oh, yeah, probably won't be like a huge performer, but it'll probably do okay. He doesn't talk like that. Beach nut. Yeah, old beach nut. Old beach nut. He's, but he's, t- he's usually right about that kind of stuff. Well, I know. But I told him I didn't care. Because he's really good at it. But that's not the part he's being a pain in the ass about. Oh, okay. I said to him also, and I already texted him this morning about this. I said to him also, I think that you should probably start paying attention to thermal night vision stuff. I think that there's going to be a lot of discussions about thermal night vision. And then we went on to discuss how it's, pretty fringe because it's like hog hunters right and hogs are hog hunters are killing invasive hogs mm-hmm. um like totally unregulated like tr- people are trying to get rid of them so who would ever have a complaint with that yep right and then increasingly coyote hunters mm-hmm. it's like rewriting predator hunting thermal night vision stuff yeah changing everything and i said but i still would advise you and he was kind of he was kind of like dismissive of what i was saying utah has banned thermal imaging night vision devices and i'm guessing this doesn't say but but i know from uh, i've heard more and more and more and more from people who are using it to scout Mm, yeah that you can go out in the dark 
and get onto a herd of elk in the dark and monitor their movements through the night and be ready for illegal life. Yeah, makes sense. And follow them, right? Yep. Find them in their beds. Find you can go out. At, you can find where a deer's bedded. No problem. Um, so Utah is uh throwing that in. What sort of range do those things have? Like how how close do you have to be to the animal for it to? Not close. Not yeah. We had the uh, I've been very curious about it. So I I uh got to spend some time with um some thermal night vision equipment. Uh, we, we got some. So there's a place, uh, Ultimate Night Vision, and they rent um thermal night vision gear and we got some to go out and uh hunt coyotes at night for a couple nights and there's like a big learning curve and you're learning to use it but i'll tell you one of the main things about it is like it is really interesting to see what goes on at night and just the different oh, way yeah. the way animals behave and stuff is so just different at night it was like like i'm ha- i'm like happy for the experience of going out and witnessing what it looks like you got to learn it um, there's a lot of stuff with depth perception that's hard, but I mean, it was cool, man. And you know, this is after all the big game seasons were over. So like this sort of thing, like using it for hunting of big game wouldn't have any implications for us because the season was done anyways. But was that down in Texas? No, no, we did. No, we used it in yeah. Montana at night. Um, and just like using predator calls at night and seeing the way it just the, 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 the different attitude that things have at night about that call. Yeah. That'd be cool. Um, but that yeah, so they 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 did that. So to craft this camera rule, they surveyed nine thousand licensed hunters, seeking data on um, how people are going about it. Right. This surprised me. Fifty-seven percent of those mugs hadn't used trail cams. Hmm. Uh, only eight percent of the mugs they interviewed were using transmitting cameras. I would have thought it'd be way higher than that. Yeah, I think that stuff's just catching on, though. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know that. Like a year from now, I I think that would be totally different. You think so? It's just catching. It's just. I think it's just catching on. Those transmitting cameras, like I've just had headaches with them so many times, and it's like I consider myself a techie person, and it's still just like, you know. Yep. You got a lot of people that can barely use their cell phones, let alone try to figure out how to link a a camera. Yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. I think though the. You're going to see more and more because of the price point, right? The yeah. price point's already dropped in half from what it was like three or four years ago. Totally. Where it was four, five, six hundred dollars for those, and now you can get a decent one for you know one hundred and fifty, hundred and eighty. That's yeah. a good point because even like with Jay, what's what your live scope? Yeah. You have a Garmin live scope. Yep. I was like jealous of that, and in the back of my head, I'm like, man, I guarantee, like in a year, it's going to be half the price. In a year, I get it for half the price, and it'll somehow be better. Yep. It's going to get there, but the thing you're is like, you're like early, you're like an early adopter on a live scope. Yeah. And if you're a tournament guy, it's like, that's the edge. You need to spend that little bit of extra money to get that edge. And uh, if Garmin wants to send these boys a couple live scopes to the walleye tour. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jay. Danny Thompson, mind. Danny Thompson, I, I if you're they, listening to this. I wouldn't mind if they kicked one in for me. And I, I should, <laughs> they should know that I have a lot of Garmin products, dude. And I just ordered a Garmin dive watch. Nice. I have a Garmin. Man, I got a lot of Garmin products. Yeah. yeah. So, haven't got my dive watch yet. I got an MK1. Nice. Um, what the hell was I talking about? Oh, 
Here's the other even I'm going to like normally if you study journalism in college, they'll tell you this. They'll tell you like when you write an article, put the most important thing up top. And then you work down in levels of interest and importance, right? Mm-hmm. So it'd be like, um, Seth dies, right? And then you'd go down and be like, oh, so that's how Seth died. And then you'd go down a little more and then eventually at the bottom would be like, Seth had a dog, you know? It's sort of the article would flow like that. Pretty cool dog. Yep. Uh, I'm doing it the opposite because here's the most interesting part of this to me. Yeah. Coming at the end. Uh, they're putting an end to the sale of data and images produced by trail cameras. Meaning there are guys like, and I know some of these guys, there are guys that are professional scouts and they sell. Um, they're professional scouts that find animals and sell animals to governor's tag holders. They, they sell animals to outfitters. So they'll go out and they'll find like, you know, they go out and find like a 220 inch mule deer, right? They can sell that knowledge about that animal and sell the photos of that animal and the waypoints. That's pretty that. tough to track. I would yeah, think that'd be a tough thing for them to crack down on. One of the guys that didn't like this rule that they interview, um, they mentioned, uh, uh, he had a hard time with enforcement because yeah. you're saying like, okay, on private land, you can use it to monitor your property. Okay. So this guy's like, Ooh, big buck. Can't look at that. Not going to let that change my hunt plans. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, that's going to be tough. Um, Just the other day, I uh, texted a buddy of mine because we're trying to plan out next year's Bobcat trip. And I texted a buddy of mine that said, you got any, what's going on with Bobcats up in your neck of the woods? Right? What's he sending me two seconds later? Trail cam picture of a Bobcat. And that probably influenced my decision making at that point where i was like "Ooh, (laughs) tell me more right not able to sell that stuff if you're a professional scout Mm -hmm. scouter which it's kind of makes sense in a way yeah fair chase you hear that little clap i did go find it yourself yeah i like that what's that for i don't know what it means man (laughs) Move on. Just felt like a transition. Yeah. Just felt like it needed to put a clap in there. It was like a bookend. Yeah, that's what it meant to be. It was like a book closing. Yep. (laughs) So let me, let me, you know, I did my book close too early. I think that I wonder if this is going to be a thing because if you're sitting at home trying to think about how technology intersects with hunting and hunting practices, fishing practices, um, I think there's a great example to be found in drones. And I was talking to this with uh, old Beach Nut the other day, Spencer. Uh, while you guys were loading up gear mm-hmm. and we were talking, we were talking about the example of what happened with drones. Okay. The minute drones became like the minute there was a discussion about using drones for hunting, like overnight, 13 states and then a bunch more followed, but immediately 13 states in the West, like open country states where drones would be particularly helpful because they're open ground. 13 states came in and said, no, no drones in hunting, no use of drones in hunting. And I was like, it was interesting that they got on it so fast Yeah, because they, they did it before there was a user group before it had become woven into the hunting culture. And Spencer brought up, he said, but drones went from zero to 60 because like the, the, the initial, the, the first initial thing that it was good for was it was good for mounting a camera. 
That's like what made them what they were. Like if you couldn't mount a camera on them, it's a toy helicopter. Like no one cares. So he's like, it went from zero to 60 and you could immediately see it. He goes, if you go back in trail cam history, it was like a thing could like initially, a thing could like tell you that something passed by, right? And it evolved and you, and you built up this user group of people. You built up a big industry for it. There's a lot of companies that make trail cams. People have been using trail cams for a decade or more, right? But then trail cams hit to this certain level of sophistication and this certain price point where it's, now it's like very achievable to get a camera that sends you messages that says like, right now, right now, there's a buck in that field to your phone. And so for now, for state game agencies to want to go like, man, it's kind of getting ridiculous. Now we got to like clamp down on this. You're going to be battling against people who this is like woven into their the cultural fabric of hunting. Well, and there's more. And it's just going to be harder. And drones were like, they got drones before drones were a thing. Yeah. Well, there's, people. there's more gray area with the trail cams. Like you said, like landowners, a drone is like, if you put a flying object in the sky with a camera, it's like, that's a no go. But the, the trail cam thing is a little more mm-hmm. touchy. Like a lot of uh, provinces will say, you can't even have your drone along when you're hunting. Like if it's, and that for me, that's tough because I'm always filming stuff, but like even from a non-hunting standpoint, if you just, you just can't have the drone in your vehicle, yeah. like that's a no go. Yeah. A lot of States you can't, you can't be like, like say I, I'm Chet and I are hunting a, a property and I see a buck heading his way. I can't text him and be like, Hey Chet, big buck coming. Yeah. Like be ready. That, but you know, you can have in a lot of states, you can have a trail camera that's on a trail a couple hundred yards from you and get a, a picture, a, a picture sent to your phone of a buck walking past that trail camera heading in your yeah, direction. It's the same thing. It's the same damn thing. You know what, uh, what else Spencer annoyed me about when I was talking to him about doing like a big thing, like sort of the pros, the cons, get a bunch of perspectives on like where trail cams are headed. I was saying to him, um, I don't want, I don't want you guys all, he's the guy I'm going to talk about. has been on the show, but I'm not going to say who he is. There's a, there's a guy I know that manages a large property. He's been on the show. Um, I'll let him talk about this, but I want to talk about it for him and name him. Anyway, he said, and he's in a state where there's no prohibitions on trail cams whatsoever. He, this year for the first time ever during hunting season, turned them all off. He said it was just changing the game so much and getting too weird. Yeah. That he knew where everything, because he's got twenty some, you know, out. And when they're and he's a he's a property manager on a hunting property, and it just got to be where like it just rewrote everything. Oh, one's coming down the field edge, right now. Well, that's kind of just like the live scope. I just got the message. It's just like live scope. You see the fish coming. Yeah. They can't hide anymore. It's like. So he voluntarily turned his he voluntarily turned his off and he said it was nice. He 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 was like he was glad that he did it and wanted to send it one like sort of change in the hunting season. Yeah. And he, he uh so anyway, Spencer's like, yeah, well that's kind of an anomaly and that doesn't matter. I'm like, you wouldn't be able to if you were a journalist, you wouldn't be able to write about murder. Because murder's an anomaly. Do you know what I mean? Yep. He wouldn't be able to be like so and so brutally murdered someone, because that's weird by his logic. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Why it was, was why yeah. Spencer was so annoying right there? <laughs> <laughs> with all this crazy technology. <laughs> oh, sorry, I was gonna do the bookend again. Go ahead, Chester. With all this crazy technology, it just makes me think that people just have to be res- as responsible as they can with it. And obviously, 
you know, like with live scope, for instance, being able to target a school of crappies way better than you used to once people actually really figure out how to use it, not just going out there and like just limiting and keeping their limits all the time, you know, um, just being responsible with it. Well, there's like a, I call it a wives tale, but we say back home that if you, if you laid out a hundred percent of the fish that are caught, right. A hundred percent of those fish are caught by less than 20% of those anglers. Right. Because of skill, because of ability, because of mobility, things like that. Yeah. Electronics are changing that. That percentage, like you're saying, is definitely going to go up because it's no longer about just knowing patterns or having the right baits or, you know, the boat to get there. Those electronics take the, the, the guesswork, know, the guesswork completely out of it. Like map chips. When you can go to a lake you've never been to before and you have one foot contours. I remember like. 10 years ago, fishing with my buddy and he would have like pictures and we'd triangulate it. And it was just, you know, it felt so archaic. And now there's just, you roll up to a lake and you can have where all the old roadbeds are and weed lines and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, here's the final thing I'm going to say about it. Then I'm going to do the bookend thing again. Uh, we'll all do it at the count of three. If everyone, when everybody's good. But I think that, uh, like I've expressed, I've tried to explain a perspective on this a handful of times where when looking at like practices, hunting practices, I, I tend to, I tend to take the approach where like historical use patterns. Okay. Like historical use, cultural practices, like that stuff needs to be honored and respected. If it's something that's, if it's a, st- a sustainable practice and people have been doing it a long time, like I'd honor that. So if you're in a state where people have run black bears, hunted black bears with hounds, and they've been doing it, and they have a stable bear population, and they've been at it for 200 years. Um, to me, that's like, that's in. That's grandfathered in. Like, don't mess with that, right? It's a, it's a, it's a cultural practice. I think that, like, as you get into the technology stuff, um, you're going to continue, you're going to have to continue to have conversations about um, I think it's fair game to have conversations about incoming technology. I'd rather do that than go and revisit cultural practices and, and try to like get rid of that stuff. Yeah. And you got, and I think that you got, if you're, if you're a manager, I think you got to look like out on the horizon and you got to see what's coming. And if, and if you think something's going to become problematic down the road, I would suggest that you get on it a little early before it becomes woven into the, into the cultural fabric of, you know, in the hunting community. Yeah. And it's going to be hard. If you came in now and said, you know what, after careful consideration, I think that the compound bow is just too effective. Right. Good luck. (laughs) Right. Good luck. But you could have honestly have had that chat in 1980. They're trying, there's talks about uh, live bait getting cut out of Manitoba. And that's something it's like, well, these people have been using live bait for, however many years it's been grandfathered in. So it's a, it's a tough discussion. Yeah. If you're getting rid of live bait to make room for live scopers to catch more fish, that's a real problem for me. It's a real problem for me. The crossbow thing's another big issue. Yeah. All right. One, two, three. Okay. Everybody's done talking about that. (laughs) Mandy, can you do me the favor of laying out like where we are and what's going on? <laughs> and about how everything's underwater and shit like that. <laughs> All right, take it away. 
Because uh, you grew up in this neck of the woods, so you got like an insider. You you have land that's currently uh, people are probably fishing on your land right now. They are. Yeah. They they actually are. <laughs> that, that that is a hundred percent for sure. Uh, most people would call it BFE, but we are in the beautiful state of North Dakota. Uh, we're in the Devil's Lake area currently. We are on the far, far west end, uh, over in, in the Minnewaukan area, in our cozy shack chalet here. Our double wide. Our double wide. Uh, yeah, it's just a really small community that's that's grown a little bit with the oil booms out for a little bit further out west. But it's a fishing community. It's a fishing farming community. Um, yeah, and you're talking about about, about the lake growing. Uh, it's blown up, uh, obviously. It, it's been a big deal. It's been going on. Now, it's hard to say that it's been going on for a couple decades. I really the feel The water old. rise. The water rise, correct. So uh, the lake actually, for like the, the eight, most of the 80s, we were kind of in a drought pattern here. Um, it, it, the, the interesting part, too, is uh, when the, we were in a drought pattern and the waters were exceptionally low, like there was really high mercury levels here in the water. Uh, the salinity levels were really high. Like there was actually like uh, warnings out for the amount of fish and hmm. the, that you could eat based on yep. those things. Um, so, yeah, uh, we had some historic snow events. We got back to regular rain uh, patterns, snow patterns. We had a 500-year event, a 100-year event, and then regular more regular rain events and i think it's like a million acres plus now but it, it, it's so odd to see that uh roads are gone houses are gone farms are gone tree lines are gone uh roads have been built up 50 60 feet in some areas to make them still passable other ones they've just completely abandoned um it's crazy yeah and tell about tell about the the, the place you grew up on just uh, just as an example so, so where I grew up on, uh, over on Black Tiger Bay, which actually used to be the farthest east portion of Devil's Lake, um, where we actually fished day one was actually not connected yep, I remember historically. You point, I remember you, yeah. yeah, I remember you not pointing. Not like, part place, of Devil's Lake. I remember you pointing to where your place would have been. <laughs> Correct. Uh, yeah, the water just started started rising, and it actually rose fairly quick uh, the, the first couple of years to the, to the point where... Um, Accesses had to be moved. People lost homes. You couldn't move cabins, things like that, uh, and it just swallowed it up. Like if you couldn't, if you couldn't physically move that structure, it's gone. Were they gutting those houses of, um, like, like hauling away propane, hauling away like stuff they didn't want to get in the water, or was it happening too fast? That's a really good question. Uh, like where we were at. Uh, you jumped on it as fast as you could, but there was still, so you had to pick and choose, right? Like the structures that you could possibly change. And they're just, we're, we're remote here and you can only move so much. Mm-hmm. Um, realistically, like we gave, like we gave trailers away. We just sent it you out there really? and just said, come get them because we're going to lose them. Right? Like we didn't have the money to pay all that, to have them moved, but we didn't want them to go to waste. And we definitely didn't want them to be underwater. Right. So just come get these structures. They're yours. But it, it, it's weird to say that there's where we're at. There's a mile and a half underwater. It's underwater. Like it's gone. Yeah. We under, still- under, like under 60, under 60 vertical feet of water, but you'd have to go a mile and a half out. Correct. From the shoreline. Yes. Yes. So how, how fast did the water rise? Oh, um, we had a bunch of issues and Jay can actually chime in on this too. Like the, the big trigger point was like in the nineties, 
um, actually kind of like in the in the late 90s, um, we had bad, bad flooding, you know, a ton of snow, spring melt off, all these things. It was like the perfect storm of everything to, to happen. And that initial jump was crazy uh, to the point where they couldn't get caught up. And if you notice the road structure around here, like we drove over a couple of those bridges, like those are gone. Right. So to drive all the way around like 60, 70, 80 miles <laughs> because yeah. you can't drive yep. across, you know, or cut across. Um, and then it just continued to go. It just continued until we we're at where we're at right now. Like the bowl is full. Yeah, that's that's another thing that um, this is like a dead end basin. So normally you think of like flooding in a river valley. It's just that the river valley can't drain it fast enough. But, you know, floods go away pretty quick. But here you're flooding an area that, that the outflow is is very high up so you could it could hold all this water for such a long period of time well it's so flat here like it, it, this is the we were talking about this yesterday the catchment area for so much like yeah when it all the water just collects here it's yeah it, it brings a, a wide and it's it eventually is gonna it eventually drains out in which direction when it leaves here well currently i and i shouldn't say that i should have double checked but historically um, they have been draining one to two inches off every month, and they've been draining it into the Cheyenne River. Uh, very, very controlled. They have um, a couple big pump houses, correct? Yeah. Pump, like on Minnewaukan side here, and then one on the west side, right? Correct. There's a few of them. Um, and or east side. The reason why they have to go into there, we... It'd make more sense, right, to go into the Red River. The problem is, is the Red River flows north and it flows into Canada. We don't want your water. I thought they, I thought they <laughs> were I don't understand, like, what's wrong with the water, man? It's I full thought... of big walleyes. <laughs> well, that's true. She's the biologist. She could probably speak more to that. I it is actually full of big like, walleyes. You guys feel like you just got, you guys feel up in Canada. You're going to have to speak for the whole nation. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> you guys feel like you're just good on water. Yeah, we're set. Yeah. We're set. We got we got enough fresh water. Okay. Trust me, we send them enough every spring that uh, causes flooding for them too. Yeah. So, because we melt here obviously before they do, and that water's all running north, and they haven't thawed yet. So, like the Winnipeg area all along there, it floods pretty bad. It's a it's a serious thing. Talking about good American water here, Jay. <laughs> we'll pass. We'll pass. You so guys it, start drinking that water, you'll get a lot more gur up in that country. <laughs> more aggression. <laughs> <laughs> so this. <laughs> this water does make it to Canada, though, right? Is what, like Cheyenne nor flowing north? It, I don't know what way you're pointing. I'm, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm I'm just saying, Dev Devil's Lake naturally overflows into the Cheyenne River. The Cheyenne River is a tributary of the Red River of the North, which flows into Canada. Ooh, the plot thickens. I'm not familiar with the Cheyenne, so I mean, if it goes into the Red, then yeah, it comes into Canada. See, are getting married, but very water. slowly. <laughs> they don't want to go in direct. The Red River's still doing good. We'll uh, we'll research this and find out. But uh, back to your place. Can can you explain the property tax things? That's really interesting to me. That for a while you had to pay taxes on land that was underwater. Correct. If you think about the farms, you know, I, my heart bleeds for for that. That's what my family does is farms too, and. Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of underwater we're talking row crop and cattle things like that uh and 
because you owned it, you still had to pay property tax on yeah. it. Even it's, though people are driving over it in boats. Correct. It's yeah. underwater. So they they actually had to go. And like I said, because that water rose so fast and they were trying to deal with FEMA and, I mean, all the other disaster federal things like that, it, it kind of got lost in the mix per se, right? Because it has to go through the legislature and all that. So, yeah, it took them a while for them to repeal that law. They, so now you don't have to pay tax, but you still own that land. So yep. if the water ever magically recedes, like back down to, you know, the late 80s, early 90s level, like there's going to be a whole lot of property out there. You know, we, we covered, it's the same, I think it's the same weather events in an area in South Dakota. And I don't know if you've had a similar problem up here, but in South Dakota, there were, there was a lot of controversy where with the rising water, inundating farmland and residential properties. Um, even though taxes were suspended on the submerged water, there were people going in and running buoy markers along their property lines. Oh, to keep anglers and hunters out. But then having what everybody said, like private parts of the lake. So you're, so you would buoy off your farm with buoy strings and uh, just have it be like you could fish it. But then people are like, but it's it's the fish are the, you know, from state stocking program. And it, this was going on at the time. Yeah. And he said, like, naturally, the way that everybody thinks is then people would go and all line up along the buoy fence because, like, it's got to be better over there. So they'd go fish along that edge, you know, thinking that that's where all the fish were hiding is over on the private property, which yeah. is like a, like, a, like a very much like a hunting thing, you know? Um, and people were hashing that out. Was that a thing that was that, that, were you seeing that up here where people were like fencing off with buoy markers? What would have been their lot? No, no, this is way too big of, big of waters, but it, the, that whole South Dakota gig is really interesting too, because that kind of happened around the same time. I feel like a little bit sooner, um, at, at Wabe specifically uh -huh. that, that comes to mind right away. I, there's literally a few accesses where the silos of the farms, that's all that's sticking out of the top of the water. Right. Yeah, like, that we were in some of those areas. Correct. Yeah. Like Crazy. that's the structure in the, in, in Wabe is, yeah. is those old farmsteads. But the crazy part, which you guys should do a little bit of research on, they started like putting in these public accesses, right. Which then they then repealed later. Oh, okay. Uh, which has been really been a big controversy there. So there, it was already a pothole, like littered with potholes, but obviously rising waters, things spill over. Yeah, like private land becomes now public waters. It, it's a big controversy there, uh, and it just kind of keeps going. But they kind of gave us like a, a pre-shot highlight of what was going to happen almost, but this happened on a, a bigger scale. Do you ever take... Um do you ever take a boat and go cruise around on like what, like over your property? No, I, I, I haven't actually. Uh, I, I think it would be really, really interesting uh, to, to go see and look at what's, what's there and how deep it is. It, it, oh yeah. To go down there with some dive gear. It's, it's heartbreaking. Look for your old stuff. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking, right? Like this is where I, where I grew up. This is where this love and this passion and my best memories of my dad and my, my family are at. And, you make new, but it would be, it's hard. So yeah. did did the fishing, as soon as the water got up, was the fishing just like instantly 
that much better than before, like with all that extra... Within a year or two weeks, you got all that extra structure, you got all that extra cover, you've got way more water, Like right? a ton of spawning oh, water, had right? to, It had to have allowed... It had to made fish stocks just explode, man. Yeah. Imagine just how much how much nutrients. Because when I... Yeah, in the 90s, I just heard about devils all the time. I'm not sure if that would be considered the peak of the fishery, like... But... Yeah, I would say. Yeah, and that was the weird part, too. Like, I can remember the worst algae blooms. Like, I mean, split green pea soup, disgusting the whole entire lake. In the old days. In the old days, right? And I'd maybe on some small bays now, but you just don't have that, right? You know, I think there was a lot of concern, too, when we had all this overland flooding um, because of the residual uh, chemicals, right, coming off croplands, coming coming from the structures that had been flooded, what was going to happen, right? What was going to happen with that water quality? Was it... I mean, were we going to kill fish? Were we going to have some catastrophic events here based on uh, the facilities that had been swallowed up whole by it? Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited Photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, it's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply this festival and concert season will be all about the boots and tacovas is your stop before attending your next concert tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring including men's and women's boots apparel hats bags and more and tacovas has first wear comfort meaning you put them on they feel great little or no break-in period it's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Just ask my buddy Chili, who's been slipping around in his Tacova boots, talking about how great he feels in them. He loves them. Yeah, Steve, they're very comfortable. They're very fashionable, and I enjoy wearing mine around the office and anywhere I go around Bozeman. Stop by your local Tacova store. Have a complimentary drink and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And find your new favorite pair of boots today. This show is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stressors big ones little ones when you keep these things bottled up it can start to affect you in a very negative way well therapy is a great space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down like figure it out 
That means figuring it out with someone who's impartial, who's able to sit down and hear what you have to say and think it through with you. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, there's no there's no such thing. It's like you're not so tough. You're not so tough that it doesn't do you some good to talk to somebody now and then about what's on your mind, okay? Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash meat eater today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash meat eater. What's the sort of local um, temperature on this thing now? Are there people who are like, I like it just the way it is now? I can't speak for I, that. I, I, I think it's conflicting because the farmers, I mean, Fishermen, I'm sure, were happy when that was. I mean, oh, it's got to be like you got a lot of people who just like the fish, yeah, and they're like, no, perfect. And there's a lot of people who just like the farm, and they're like, this ain't acceptable. No, yeah. I uh, chatted with some folks in this area about that, and uh, I think it's like 25 million dollars of fishing ranks, you know, to this economy. Uh, that was like back in 2005 or whatever. So it's got to be maybe greater now or whatnot, but. Oh, it's probably way Far- more now. Farmers are really wanting their land back, and obviously the fishermen really want to keep it. I wonder what the value of those farms would be, if it'd be considerable to the $25 million or... Oh, yeah. I don't know. Man. I don't know what a farm's worth. Like the agricultural output, the agricultural output off all that land would have to dwarf the twenty-five twenty, the fishing act, $25 million worth of fishing activity. I don't know. I don't know either, but... Um, but yeah, I was, I've been reading just right now on this pumping water stuff and it is in 2005 they just began pumping water into the Cheyenne River which then drains into the Red River which flows into Manitoba and Lake Winnipeg and then Hudson Bay it goes into the ocean eventually and they were they're worried about you know back then about the salt levels and stuff that were in here contaminating Mm -hmm. like Lake Winnipeg and whatnot, um, but there are four pumps put in the area to be able to do that, and canals and drainage pipes, um, or channels and and drainage pipes. So what a project! It's, it's, it, yeah, twenty. <laughs> what did it say? Uh, what, what is the does it? What is the goal? Is the goal to like what year? This has got to be something people debate too. What year is regarded as normal? If normal happened to be. If normal happened to be like, if we sort of like set our expectations on normal during a major drought cycle, like what is normal? Well, I don't know. The The one map chip that uh, my, my buddy had for the area, like the Navionics, whatever it was, they say the one that shows a lot of the earlier outline is 1990 was was a big date. Because that, that spot we were fishing was probably the 1990 roadbed. So it's 22 feet of water um, where, where we were fishing yesterday. And that was the old road, right, right with all that rubble. So I, that's the date that's stuck in my head from talking to... So if you were going to pump it back to normal, you're going to be pumping off 22 feet of water off of... In 1940, Devil's Lake was nearly dry. Whew. And in really? June of 2011, the lake reached a modern-day record high. So it's been going down since then. In June 2011. What, I mean, I yeah, I don't know... 
Yeah, it's been going down, obviously. Hmm. Can't be going down very much. Uh, <laughs> literally, like, so we have all the fluctuations, right? Like, this lake can fluctuate eight, nine feet a year. No problem, right? That's okay. not a big deal. That's not based on a major drought. That's just because of so much surface area, things like that. Um, but it was just a couple of years ago after my dad passed, I came back out, obviously, to the cabins. I uh, wanted to see the property, make sure everything's good, talk to, the, to our neighbors, and... I was nervous. This is a later property. Correct. Yeah. So we we were we moved, yep, right? Like yep. we moved significantly back. Um and I remember pulling in and like the water was right there. Like it's it was like 22 feet. I we got out like the, you know, tape measure from the back door of the cabin to the water and I was like, "Oh my gosh, like what do I do?" Like this was not this close. Got you. You know, do we have to move this stuff again? Like really? <laughs> yeah. Like freaking out. And so the, we'll say one of the accesses, I won't say exactly which one because they'll know where the properties are at, but this access has been moved seven times and all seven wow. times it's been moved on our property, but like basically eminent domain, Yeah. you know? So I've seen them move back as the water comes up and it's nice landing, you know, but it's like, now we've got that right there and I'm like, okay, what's, do they know what's going to happen or, or should we just pull the stuff now or is it yeah. actually going to go, you know, go back down? So. They were showing us, I'm sure it happens around here, but in, in South Dakota, they were showing us these, like, what they think are, like, dream boat launches, which is where highways go underwater. Oh, yeah. And they're like, no matter how high the water gets or how low it gets, you're still, like, backing down a highway <laughs> to launch <laughs> That's your amazing. boat, you know? <laughs> like, like, very nice boat launches. It says there's... Nice asphalt boat launch. <laughs> Geological evidence that the lakes have overflowed into the Cheyenne River and dried up completely on several occasions over the past 10,000 years. There you go. Thank you, Chester. I wonder, I wonder how it's high like the water... Dur- it's like having a little Doug Dern here, man. <laughs> he's just not fighting with you on so, text yeah, he, just, he doesn't fight you, but he checks everything out. I wonder uh, how high the water has to peak to, to flow out of the, the basin. It's probably uh, right around like how much one, higher than right now. Elevation, so an elevation of one thousand four hundred and fifty-four point three feet is when it'll start. It's like record high in modern day. So they had I'm ready to, to move on. <laughs> that all right, Chester? Okay, here's here's something I want to do here because talk about what we've been up to. I want to juxtapose. Um, I want to juxtapose live scope fishing with pike spearing because I think these are uh, re- like like if you imagine um, uh, like imagine that you stretch your arms out as wide as you can stretch them, okay, and that constitutes the spectrum of ice fishing activities out at your whatever tip your right fingertip is is uh no it's a timeline that advances from seth's perspective let me see from seth's perspective my right fingertip would be spear and northerns and my left fingertip would be live scoping fish through the ice 
So which do you want to start with? I'm asking you this, Jay. Uh, well, spearing. Let's talk about spearing. Okay. I'll handle this one. All right. Spearing, in my mind, is true ice fishing. Pure, true ice fishing. Can you agree with that or not Why, agree with that? What, what do you mean by that? It just feels like a long time ago when you're spearing northerns. Oh yeah, okay. not with Jay's sweet camera setup. But we weren't we were <laughs> we weren't gaining anything with Jay's sweet camera setup. He no. might have been attracted to my camera. We don't know if he came in for the camera. Oh, he just the, he didn't eat the camera. I can't wait. Do you think I could? Can I put that up on social media? Then? Yeah. You don't care? Yeah, no. Post it. I'll credit you. Can cool. you give me a better version of it? Yeah. No. So we had a sweet camera set up, but it had nothing to do with us. It wasn't even in our. It wasn't in the dark house. It was just recording, and it was cool to look at it later. Spearing goes like this, and a lot of people already know, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, you uh, drill a, a hole of staggering proportions through the ice. Mandy, Mandy said she's been around a lot of ice fishing activities. She has never seen a spear hole this big as the one we made, and I blame her. <laughs> <laughs> but Mandy has a giant auger, and I normally think in my head, like, I'm going to go five augers wide and three augers deep. Yeah. And that's what I did. <laughs> Except you used my 10-inch auger. It was, yeah, so it was a 10-inch hole. It was flight, a 50-inch so. hole. 50-inch by 30-inch. It was a good-sized hole. Well, it was ginormous. Yeah, Mandy <laughs> bought one in there. And she would have gone in. And if she fell in, she wouldn't even have hit the sides, man. <laughs> she could have fell in horizontal and not hit the sides. So, uh, yeah, so, you like... It used to be hard to make a spear hole, but it's like with good augers, it's pretty easy to make a spear hole. You just make a bunch of holes and you kind of butt them right up to each other. And sometimes they'll overlap or sometimes not. And then you take an ice saw and connect all the holes. And you can do one of two things, depending on where you're at and what you're supposed to do where you're at. Um, and I think it depends a little bit on weather. You can either take that block, and each has its pros and cons. You can take that block and shove it under the ice. Sink in the cake. Sink, that's what they call it? Yep. You can sink the cake. Or you can, what do you, what, what do you call it when you drag it up on the ice? Eat the cake. Eat the cake. Yeah. Can't eat your cake and sink it too, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, um, pushing it down has to be the most common. Yeah. I'm trying to, is it, is it, Esk, like Eskimo makes the, the, I have a bunch of them. The is auger? Eskimo or Ion? Ion makes the auger. No, that makes the screws, the handle screws. Eskimo. Eskimo. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's there's a screw you can use to like anchor your your fish shanty to the ice or whatever you need to anchor to the ice. Yeah. It's a screw you can just drive into the ice. Yeah. Um and they also make a, a you can also get an auger attachment. Like I have an ion auger and you can get an attachment for driving these yeah. screws. Anyways, when you cut this so when you cut this periphery of the hole out, the spear hole, you got like a large block of ice sitting in there. Um in the old days they'd hook up the mules or whatever and drag it up and put it in the ice house pack it with sawdust then you have ice all summer long yeah but that's not what we're doing um to pull the block out like my friends in alaska will pull the block out hmm. and they'll drive the they'll drive the handles the ice screws into oh, the okay. block and then you get then you push down on it like you know how when you go to pull someone into a boat who's wearing a life jacket how you go like down then up and you get the buoyancy yeah, yeah. to help you get a little inertia so you get a couple of those handles in there and you push down and you go one two three you can drag it up on the ice. The problem is in really cold weather, that block just freezes. It welds itself to the ice. And that's not something you want to hit with your Yeah, I was just saying, that Well, there was a guy a... that got killed. 
yeah. he was guy was racing across the lake on a snowmobile and hit a block of ice with someone that dragged out yeah. the throws and killed the guy. Because so, the, the controversy is that like if if you have that open hole afterwards, like you could potentially be open dope. to manslaughter if someone goes through that hole and dies, right? Yeah. So like I mean, we marked our holes, but that's a pretty important thing. It's if you don't mark that hole, I also, in, in a, on a warm day, and it creates like a special thing because on a warm day when it's not going to seal back up, like we were out in such cold weather that you couldn't keep the thing open anyway. No, if you wanted to, but yeah, you know, I, I don't want to drag it on too long. But there's all these different things. So yeah. what they require? Let, let, here's a good way to discuss it: North Dakota, which I'd like to credit the North Dakota uh, Fishing Game Agency. They have very well thought ice fishing rules like fine tooth comb and they lay out chester tell them when you drill a dark if, house hole if you have a hole that's 10 inches or greater you legally have to have a dowel a brightly colored wooden lathe i guess is how they have it stated or a natural object to mark your that hole and you have to have it on you at while you're fishing while you're fishing and i think it has to be clearly visible from 50 yards yep 150 feet wasn't it clearly visible from 150 feet your marker yep um so we sunk the cake then what you got to do is you need to uh people do this different ways like when i was a little kid people used to like so you well you got to put up your shanty and you got to have it darkened out so we use Eskimo shanties, and they got windows, which are great to open the window up, like a plastic window. You can open up and let sunlight in when you're regular fishing, but then you can Velcro the flaps up to, to rule out all the light because you got to have it be that you're in a dark structure. In fact, they call it dark, like they'll call it in the dark house or dark house fishing. So you drill this big asshole, you sit on a seat looking into it. And when you're out in the daylight, you can't tell, you can't see into the water. But the same way, you know, when you like put your hands up around your eyes to look down into the, to the water. When you put the shanty up and block all the light from coming in and shovel snow around the edge and really get it sealed up, it's like lit up like a TV screen to see the bottom. When we were young, we used to put, uh, people would slice potatoes. If you were fishing in pretty deep water, you'd slice potatoes real thin or you'd boil a bunch of elbow macaroni to get some uh, white on the bottom so that you could see the outline of deep fish. (laughs) We tried a bed sheet once. Oh, you did? That didn't work too great. Yeah, I can't picture that. <laughs> Just well, to actually plus, get it to spread out properly. Well, then, what, you, so then you're gonna like retrieve it back out. Yeah, of there you pull it back at the end. Oh, it was so much work, and it didn't. It didn't work. Yeah, out our thinking really. was like, uh, you know, using like organic matter, like yeah, eggshells. Sure, I remember. I remember eggshells too. Save all your eggshells, crumple them up, put them down the hole, just to get a little something to see what's going a on. A PVC X, but people pull them out. Like, yeah, okay. Or, and uh, I've siding. seen white, white siding. Make an X in the bottom of the hole with white siding. Oh, then you no, can retrieve it, though. Then you pull it up, yeah. Uh, just so you can catch something coming across. Yeah. And I'm going to say something real quick. So I said 10 inches or greater, you have to mark it. It's anything greater than 10 inches has to be marked. So, so a normal 10-inch auger hole, you don't need to mark Yes. I, I was wrong. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Then, so here you got this giant hole, or whatever, a hole, yeah, a big hole, and you got a dark structure, so you're sitting in the dark. Which makes which illuminates the bottom, and you're looking down in there, and then you hang a decoy, and you know you can get as extravagant or not. Decoys range from that you would hang a, a pie plate or a beer can down in the hole, hanging on a string, so you can jiggle it and create like a object of curiosity to fish. Um, we had a decoy 
um, that, that a guy made for us and sent it to us where it's like, uh, looks like a fish. It's got fins. It's like, it's not quite neutral buoyancy. It's like slightly heavier. So it slowly sinks and you lift it up on a string, like a puppet, let the string go and it circles. It's real nice and sh- shows a lot of activity. Chartreuse. Um, I don't know if they do it as much anymore, but I remember like people used to harness rig suckers. You'd catch a sucker yeah. and harness rig a sucker and let it swim around the hole to lure pike in. And then, but we used to, you know, spear whitefish. There's a variety of things people spear. We spear whitefish and some other stuff. Um, in some lakes, you're allowed to spear walleye, but it's generally like a pike thing, northern pike. And then you work that decoy, and you know, you know you're anywhere from, you could be as shallow as four feet of water, which is pretty shallow. You can be as deep as 13, 14 feet of water, which is pretty deep. But let's say you're six to eight feet of water. Um, you work that decoy and just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And eventually a northern, if you're lucky, a northern or many northerns throughout the course of the day are going to come creeping in. And they just sneak up on that decoy. They like want to see what it is. They might strike it. They might just nudge it. Um, and when they do, you have a weighted spear that you need to hit them. It's hard. But you did it. Things happen fast. Tell them, Chester. Things happen real fast. They were in a different ice shack, and I cut in a little farther from them. And uh, we had a de- Jay's decoy going and had, I think, four different occasions where a pike came in. And three of those, no, two of those times out of the four, that pike gave us no chance to really spear it. It came in from struck nowhere, the struck the decoy, pew, took off again. Decoys are too good. I don't understand why people don't put hooks on their decoys. It's like if your point is getting a pike to eat, why not put hooks in the decoy? Because you said the decoy counts as a line anyways. Yeah, you know what was interesting is, I can't remember, was it Mandy or Jay that made a comment about, like, do they grab it? Yeah, I asked you just before. And I'm I like, said, no, they'll, I said they'll kind of like nudge it, but they don't like grab it, grab it. Five you know? minutes later, this pike comes in. <laughs> and just engulfs it. Oh my. <laughs> like really, like grab it enough for you to hook them. Yeah. Because I was like, no, they like bump it. You know, they like, they tap, like kind of like yeah. strike it. But this thing grabbed Went it and it. sort of like wrestled with it. It was cool. That was super yeah, cool. He, like, rrr, rrr. he looked like an alligator trying to tear a chunk off something when he grabbed onto that thing. Well, it was staring at it slowly and you were ready to throw and then it went in charge mode ate it and then i mean you had that shot just after but that would have been a tough shot to make yeah i think it's um uh oh i love it and it, it gets into the what we were talking about earlier like sort of the cultural stuff right yeah like it's uh and there's a lot of states where you cannot spear fish so yeah. you cannot spear game fish with the exception of dark house northern pike yeah it's just a thing that's a way people have targeted northerns for a long time and as much as you can't spear game fish or gig game fish um in in northern states it's like generally you can this is how we've always done it and i think that um in the future if we're having a big old fight about the allocation of the resource i would think that the live scope guys would need to to acquiesce to the dark house guys That was my my segue into live scope fishing. Yeah, I mean, that was my first spearfishing experience, Mm -hmm. and I was, like, revved up. You know, I didn't get one, but just seeing one, it was cool. I mean, I think they're just, like you said, different ends of the spectrum, because live scope, for those of you that aren't familiar with live scope. Can I, I got to add one more thing, I'm sorry, just to tee it up better for you. Uh, I should point out that a lot of people would say, 
it's really unfair to the fish to spear the fish. Because you're not tricking him into eating. Yeah. It's like some people might be like, well, what's the challenge in that? You're sinking a giant spear into a fish. Well, what's the challenge? It's very barbaric. And you can't release them. <laughs> nope. It's like it's, a blo- it's bloodthirsty. I don't ha- have that perspective. But I just wanted to open up that someone might say like, Someone might look and be like, that to me, that strikes me as unethical fishing because it's like you're, you know, you haven't tricked him. He just passes through the hole and you jab a big spear into him. Yeah. And that's got to hurt. Yeah, but other Not people the one are... I got. <laughs> yeah, yours, yours died pretty quickly. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it depends on the size. Like, I mean, you have a little more of a chance when you catch with rod and reel to choose if you want to release it or not. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have a chance to decide if you want to spear that fish or not, but it, it happens pretty fast. You, you got to make a decision and you, you might not have time to hum and haw between a 35 or 40 inch when he's, when he's yeah, right there. Yeah, that's what, when I was, when I was, when I grew up in Michigan, um, we're just fishing lake where there's no, that you don't have a size requirement. So, but when I grew up in Michigan, at first, for most of my life that I lived there, it was mostly 21. 20, Northern had to be 21. Yep. It jumped up to 24. But as you can imagine, that's a hard call to make. Oh, yeah. It's a hard call to make fast. Well, I'd say not just with when you have inch restrictions. Like, it's been highly controversial in Minnesota where uh, certain lakes that hold muskie have been specifically shut down and no spearings involved, mm. right? Because the normal Joe, even an, a, a really good angler is going to have a, a hard issue in that split second, you know, is that a pike or is that a muskie? Yeah. And just in the last few years, like Malax, Cast, some of these ones that hold really big, beautiful muskie have now been reopened for spearing, and it's highly controversial. Oh, yeah. And that, that, I imagine there's probably people that show up there that aren't even aware that that could be a thing. Yep. Correct. You know, and they're like, yeah, if you didn't, if you weren't aware that was going to be a thing, you wouldn't, until you got that thing up on the ice, you'd start thinking maybe something was a little different. But yeah, it'd be a I, hard call to make. I wouldn't trust myself. Yeah. I've seen a lot of pike, a lot of muskies. If I'm seeing it from straight down view, yeah, it'd, yeah, it'd be some quick thinking. There are a handful of lakes right here in North Dakota that it's not legal to spear, and it's because of the muskies. Of the muskies. Hmm. So the weird thing is, uh, spearing in North Dakota has only been open for like 20 plus years. Uh, the first year that they opened it was in 2008, 2009, and it was actually only open for the first two weeks in March. And that was it, and it was only open to residents. Huh. Uh, 2009, 2010... Um, it was the first winter that non-residents like Minnesotans could come in to, to North Dakota and, and spear. And then it was open for like a month. Right. So then fast forward, um, no, it was 2012, 2013 where most of the state you could spear, but there still was not a, a statewide, you know, spear application for that. But it's. Yeah, so it keeps growing and growing, but... So they've been, like, tiptoeing their way in, probably wanting to see what the harvest is going to look like. Correct. So they went really above and beyond, and they have, like, unbelievable data. Like, I'm fairly impressed for their survey results here. So they did a survey in 2020, uh, 2020, 2021, and they had 4,372 individuals that registered for that were resident spears <clears throat> there was over 2500 non-residents mm-hmm. that so yeah they figured about 16,600 pike were speared from the people that they surveyed you right did. so i mean they really dug down like i geek out about this kind oh, of hold on, how many pike were speared 16,605 oh so those guys are doing good correct here's here, like the they, early <laughs> registers were doing good correct average spear age was 49 years old and 88 percent of them were male 
Uh, a year older than me. Seventy-two <laughs> percent of the respondents indicated that they actually uh, dark house fish. So they must have surveyed like the, all of the people that have fishing licenses. So that's pretty high, right? Like that seventy-two percent of resident fishing license holders. Spear. Well, you know, no, you sure it's not that that of the people that got registered, that's the percent that actually went. So 72% of respondents indicated that they actually dark house spear. Yeah, because they're, they're interviewing people that registered. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it must be growing. Uh, 60% of those people that took the survey uh, so that they had taken someone dark house spearing for the first time. Huh. Yeah. I mean, that's really cool. They did a really good job with uh, that spearing information. Dude, again, man, I'm like really high on uh, North Dakota fishing game, man. They... The stocking reports, the netting reports are unreal. A lot of transparency. Yeah. Good state. (laughs) Good place to be. It is a good place to be. And the walleye thing's new, too, which is interesting how they're becoming more open to that. Like, I think just the last two years is when they opened walleye spearing on a couple of leaks around here. Oh, so they're like tiptoeing into dark house. They're the same as live scope. They're both coming (laughs) in at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So now, now let's get into the live scope thing. All right. So I got real mixed feelings. I want one bad. Yeah. But I did get a little bit of a guilty conscience because here's the. Well, I'll I'll tell you later. Go ahead and lay it all out. I'll Uh, tell you why I felt guilty. So like your typical uh, sonar, whatever you're getting an 18 degree cone angle looking down your hole. That's what you see. Use a lot of analogies here. Yeah. So I mean, um, you're like shining a flashlight down the hole. And that beam is 18 degrees, and whatever's underneath the flashlight like is... A, like a Scooby-Doo, like the flashlight that they always use in Scooby-Doo. Yeah, exactly like that. Like a very precise, <laughs> a very precise <laughs> angle, where it's like, it's like utter darkness meets utter light. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got it. Um, so typically, yeah, the fish would have to be right under hole, and you would see them in real time. You can see your lure going up and down. You can see the fish interacting. And even that has revolutionized ice fishing. I think your your catch rate, I would say, would be... 3x or 4x with that i would turn if i forgot mine i'd turn around for a lot like not all fishing obviously spearing electronics isn't going to help you much um but if i forgot my electronics i would turn around and go home but live scope now is instead of that 18 degree angle it's 135 degrees by 18 so you can decide how you want to point it and stuff but it's like kind of like ultrasound you're getting a real-time reading so i can be looking 100 feet off to the side or i can do a pan so normally Let's say, uh, for an example, you're looking for, for black crappies in a basin. You would drill that thing. You'd Swiss cheese it, right? You'd drill 30, 40 holes, and you'd keep hole hopping until you are marking fish. Now with this live scope, you put this transducer down, you drill one hole, and I can scan effectively 100, 100 feet or, or more in any direction around me. So I just save myself cutting 40 or 50 holes. And as well, you can see if those fish are moving. So when Steve and I were fishing yesterday, we had the transducer between us and we had warning before the fish came in. So like a long warning. Yeah, long warning. So it's like it's like that trail camera being set up, sending you a picture before it comes. You know, uh, you're not paying attention. All of a sudden you look at the live scope and you see, okay, Steve, there's a fish swimming towards you 10 feet away. And uh, you can see the f- size of the fish. It's mood. It's mood and, and how a, it reacts. There's a, there's a graph on there that you can measure it. How big the fish are. And that's, that's, that's one of the coolest parts because <laughs> like just... normally you get nervous when you're marking a fish, but when you can tell it's a three-foot fish or whatever it might be, a 30-inch walleye, it's like it gets your heart pounding in a different... Oh, it, and you can see it's mood, man. Yep. You use like when they're on the bottom, like slithering along. Then 
you can see what it likes. Yep. So you're sitting there and a fish comes and he gets like, it gets like, it, it gets the perspective that he's right below your stuff. Yep. And you jig it and raise it and he follows it and gets excited. And then you raise a little more and he keeps following it and you do it again and he hits. Yeah. And you, you like tease him into hitting. Um, you can try things on him. You can take his mood. Well, I'm going to drop it down and shake it in the mud. Yeah. Doesn't care. I'm going to do this. Oh, he's getting interested. I'm going to increase. Wham. Hook him. It's, it's a scary tool. And I've, I've kind of compared it to what drones is to hunting. And, and because there's just no hiding anymore, you know? Yeah. The, the, the fish can't hide. And, you, and I mean, my favorite part of LiveScope is, is the learning tool that it is. Because now I can see, oh, those crappies spooked. I caught one out of the school and the other 15 spooked away. Or I knelt down a little bit loud in shallow water and I saw the fish spook away. And it's like, that's my favorite. Obviously, it's cool to see the fish eat, but you learn more about the biology and, and their general mood and characteristics. But uh, it turns into a lot of gear. Like like you said, the spearing is super primitive. And now you're staring at a screen all day. So it's like we, we go fishing to get away from screens, yet you and I are sitting in the shack staring at a screen. So I, I can see how some people don't like that. Like I definitely get a lot of comments on my videos like, hey, you're not even fishing anymore. And it's like, well, I yeah, want to take advantage I wouldn't, of... I wouldn't say that. Th- that. That's hard for me because you know, you use it, but you know 20x the information that I would I would say that after have, hanging out with you for a few days, you you know twenty times more about fish and fishing than your average fisherman. Thank you. So, if you were like, dude, I don't know what kind of fish that is. I don't know, I don't know how to tie a knot, but you're out there just slaying. It winds up being like you know a bunch about fish. You know a bunch about fishing. You're probably yeah. gonna catch a bunch of fish no matter what, yeah. and you use that. It's, yeah. it's like a lot of that stuff goes that way. It's like the same thing. The guy who's like diligently running a bunch of trail cams is probably a pretty dedicated hunter. Yeah. You always think that it's going to wind up being that, that technologies are going to wind up being that any old Joe Blow can go do X. And you, maybe that's the case, but I just, I haven't like seen like a ton of evidence toward it because I've generally seen that like people that are already obsessed become early adopters on new stuff. Yep. And they were the ones kicking, they were kicking ass before and they're kicking ass now. Yeah. I don't think, I think you're probably underselling yourself after watching you fish. Um, we're out, fit, like, I don't know what the hell the temperature was. Like, I don't know. We've been out in temperatures. The lowest I've seen is negative 29. The highest I've seen is four. Every time we were fishing, it was in the negatives. What were wind gusts yesterday? It was like sustained winds of 30 miles an hour. With gusts over 50. Yet. The wind chill was 47 below. We moved four times last night. Yeah. So, that's not comfortable. No. With a shack right? and a heater, it's it's manageable. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, you're still moving. Yeah. So it's, there's still, like, a level of ambition. Like, you put that thing down, and we don't catch any fish, we don't mark any fish, and we move. But it was about, like, if you were fishing normally without electronics, yeah. that's about when you would have moved if you didn't get a hit. It, it, what it, it does, it's like, I, I don't know. You might be overestimating. It's like, you might overestimate the impact because I think that what it does is it's you'd probably go through a lot of the same activities. Yeah. You'd probably, like, go to an area, you'd probably try the same baits, you'd try the same tackles, you'd try a uh, similar strategy, but there'd be more of a mystery. Like, you wouldn't know that fish were down, but you'd know you weren't getting hits. It, it speeds up. It speeds up the search, but, like, 
you know, when you go to your initial spot, you still need to know why the fish are going to be there, right? You need to have that initial understanding of fish biology and being like, oh, the walleyes are going to be on deep rocks. Let's go check deep rocks. And the live scope confirms, confirms or denies that they're there. And then you move on. So, mm-hmm. yeah. The thing I learned when I first started messing around with electronics and ice fishing, um, beyond like a flasher, but, but putting, lowering a camera down, which caused me to have all kinds of other guilty feelings, <laughs> putting a camera down. I learned more about, in, in the first couple of days I fished with a camera down the hole, I learned more about the way fish behave in the winter than I did from 45 years of ice fishing. Yeah. Which is that I used to picture when you um, were fishing and not getting fish. It was that you weren't on fish or they were turned off. Yeah. And they were just like laying somewhere. I didn't know that all day there are fish coming out of curiosity to come look at, basically kiss your thing and move on. But come in like no motivation of hunger. It's like they come and they're like, oh, that's what that is. And stare at it oh, and yeah. leave. And come and stare at it and leave. And come and stare and at it and leave. And it's not always little fish. I've if, seen big yeah. fish do the same thing. And if you're and banging the bottom they, they and the silt's coming up, that they come and nose around in that silt. But don't eat anything. Oh, I've, I've played with fish for 10, 15 minutes before getting them to eat. It's like, why did it take him that long to eat the juicy minnow in front of his face? Yeah. But. I had like that changed. Then it became in my mind, what I used to think was they're not around or they're somewhere else. They're laying low. There's sort of like this middle area where they're very active, moving all around, and are not going to eat. But they're very interested in that. Yeah. They want to know what's going on. They want to know what that noise was. They want to know what that movement was. Um, and then there's like a competitive aspect. They have a they have like a little bit of a they're like a little bit like kids, where one of them doesn't want something, but when someone else wants it, they also decide that they want it. Yeah, like he'll stare at it. His buddy, yeah, he'll stare at it. His buddy will show up, and then he eats it. (laughs) (laughs) We see that in the you know open water a lot with smallmouth, but uh, ice fishing you see that a lot with panfish with bluegills or crappies. You can get that school fired up, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, then they get like, well, I don't want it, but I want him to have it. (laughs) Yeah, frenzy. Yeah. So, um, let me ask you this: and do you 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 walleye fish and tournament fish with live scope? Yes. How many do you got? You got two on your boat at all times? <laughs> no, I only have one. <laughs> okay, let me ask you guys this. If, you got to be totally honest. Let's say um, all of a sudden your local government, not your local, the fishing game agency says, all right, that's it. No live scope. All done. Illegal. Would you breathe a sigh of relief or would you be like, oh, man? I'd, I'd, be, I'd be pretty mad. Oh, you would? Yeah. You wouldn't breathe a sigh of relief? No. I want to learn as much as fish, like as much as possible of fish, and that's why I got into scuba diving, because I want to see them underwater, and short of strapping the scuba gear on, the live scope is like, when you see that fish relating exactly to that boulder, it's it's a pretty cool deal, because that's what you visualize, but then you actually see it, and it, it verifies what you, you know, yeah. what you've been thinking. 
I think you'd be all right with it. I mean, honestly, because it's such new technology. You'd be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Correct. And right now we're <laughs> actually already seeing it on the tournament side. Uh, so there's an ice circuit in Minnesota and they have outlawed the use of live scope during oh, those really? tournaments. Yep. Huh. No go. You know what? You know, one thing about it would be like, let's say you're having a ice fishing is ice fishing is a blue collar pursuit, right? It's, it's just, it just is right. It's a blue collar pursuit. Um, and then if you're having like local derbies and like the dude that can through connections or just from having cash, the guy that can throw down five grand on a live scope, yep. right? Yeah. He, other people might advantage. be like, well, how do I like in the derby? Like, how do I keep up with that, man? Yeah. I'm out here with a, with an ax and a, you know, I'm out here with an ax and a cut down Zebco, the tip of a Zebco rod with a real tape to the feral. <laughs> no, I, I get that. <laughs> you know, I get that. Like, Manny's like, whatever. She could live without it. She'll still catch fish. Jay's like, no, no, no. It's not about catching fish. It's about learning about fish. Which I, like, this is, there's an element of truth in that. Yeah. There's oh, yeah. There's I also a little so. bit of fish catching in there. Oh, yeah. yeah don't, 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 don't come to me and act like it's not about catching fish. Catching the fish learning's nice. nice. The catching's nice, too. Yes. Seth. Just likes every aspect of it. <laughs> <laughs> he loves free gear. <laughs> yeah. No, he's got no free live scope. Working you, on so it. you're saying like you just like are you love? Oh, it. if I had the money, I would go right now and buy it. One of the things I've found, that, and this is something I like about Seth a lot, a lot of people um, mistake jealousy for something else. They mistake jealousy for moral superiority. Okay, so they'll see a live scope setup, and what's going on deep in their psyche is they want one, but they, they don't have that kind of jingle laying around. So what they do in their mind then is they do a thing where they disapprove of it. Mm, yep. I feel that. They disapprove of it. Like, oh, you shouldn't be able to have that. But what's really going on is they're like, fuck, I kind of wish I had one of those. But their body is, their <laughs> brain is helping itself out, giving them a sense of moral superiority, which is feels for some people feels good jealousy feels bad i have one of my kids my kids have a book about jealousy and they describe jealousy the book describes jealousy as a hot prickly feeling seth is such a pure individual <laughs> listen let me tell you yeah you tell this guy something and tell him not to tell anyone you couldn't waterboard it out of him <laughs> <laughs> um anyways he sees one he wants it and he just says he wants one yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> I do. He doesn't act like he's. He doesn't <laughs> act like he's got like moral, uh, like any kind of moral dilemma. I'm in the same boat with Seth. I I want one real bad, but I <laughs> one, one of one of. In fact, I think it'd be accurate to say I lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but one one point that I that I think of when it comes to that is over the past few years, I've gotten really good with the technology that I have. Right, so like down imaging, side imaging, and being able to look on down imaging and be like, pretty sure that's a walleye, just by the way, it, you know, or, or like the size of the fish compared to what you're seeing on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, so like, if they took live scope and outlawed it right now, I'd be like, the playing field would be a little more level because yeah. we still have to. You have to put some time in to get yeah. good at well, these yeah, live scopes. That's why, that's why I opposed the internet when it came out. 
because I was good at looking up stuff in the library. And I could smoke anybody in the library. <laughs> and then they made the internet, and then now any Tom, Dick, and Harry can go find out stuff. And I used to have a competitive advantage. Yeah. I mean, Seth could probably take better pictures with his phone than most people with high-end cameras. You got you to gotta spend a lot of hours figuring it out. Like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. a learning curve. Um, <sighs> It's not a plug and play. You got to figure yeah, that shit out. I know, man. It's like this kind of stuff keeps me up at night. <laughs> me too. But you know I want to point out? I know how to close this out. This trip, I was catching, we sat down. Um, granted, I had nothing to do with picking the spots. Nothing to do with picking the spots. Okay? But, um, I was catching fish before you guys had the electronics hooked up. You were. <laughs> you sat down in that first seat. and you had But I didn't pick the spots either. No. Someone's just like, here, fish this hole. <laughs> you did okay. good. <laughs> Steve's roping them as I'm trying to get the transducer to work. He did that to all three of us, just like the other night. I, I don't know Steve well enough to like give him grief right away, but when you're on a fishing trip and your buddy starts casting before things are ready, it's like, dude, slow down. <laughs> like, <let's, laughs> you know, especially when the cameras aren't rolling, that, that's my pet peeve. When I'm filming with somebody <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I don't care what you do today, just wait till we get the camera set up and then just like, my wife hooks a fish right away, and I'm just like, Sam, you could have just waited like a minute. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't be mad. She caught a fish, right? And then she's got to pretend to be excited about the second one, but <laughs> yeah. you can never quite pretend that well. Oh, yeah, I got you. <laughs> I had some other thought I was going to add about this whole deal. The weather and everything breaking. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah, all that <laughs> stuff. But I mean, more like, um, more about the, more about that. Yeah. You're catching I sure fish. enjoyed it, man. Thanks for- I enjoyed looking through that stuff. It was a good time? And I enjoyed, you know- I enjoyed fishing with you guys. Sharing a shack? Sharing yeah. some hook sets? Yeah. Mandy fished with Yanni. Oh, I don't know what I was going to add. Did you like fishing with Yanni? <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. That's a loaded question. <laughs> no, no. Dude, I, I did love it, but like somebody that just... I, I, I truly felt like to his core, he did not have a good time. He did not like the cold weather. Like he... No. I think he liked the experience and like it was kind of... It was so out of his wheelhouse, it seemed so foreign to him that he was just like, "You, you guys are just insane, right?" Yeah, like, he's not like a born. He's not a born and bred ice angler. Yeah, he's just like you, know? you. You seriously do this for fun? Like this is like a cultural thing where you live, where people do this as a pastime. And I'm like, yeah, like why wouldn't you? Like I yeah. don't understand why you're not like excited and like see this. But I forget that it is a cultural thing, you know, for for where you grow up or how you grow up, with what kind of outdoor activities that are just part of yeah. everyday life so yeah no he was a hoot <laughs> it yeah, was cool no, to have him to the house and the, the whole crew and a really cool experience uh i know what i was gonna add a, a perspective that callahan had about technology and ice fishing yeah and he's not opposed to it right um and if someone was gonna be it'd probably be him but he's not, he had a perspective like what happens to the psychology of an angler where he says you could be ice fishing and having a perfectly good time but then someone shows up with more, like someone shows up and sets up next to you with more electronics. And Cal says, the feeling you then get is, ah, oh, now we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> like he said, it somehow makes him feel like, like it makes him feel like he's not doing, you know, that he's like, doesn't yeah. know something or is not doing something right. Or now this person's going to catch all the fish. And he's not proposing that as some, as anyone else's problem, but yeah. his own, but he's just commenting on his own psychology that it'd be like when someone has that, then he's like, well, now I'm screwed. 
the, the key <laughs> the key is to never fish with that technology. Now that you fished with it, you're screwed. If you'd never fished with it before, you know, you maybe see clips online, but once you actually experience it, I know that people that have sat in my shack or sat in my boat, it's like they've dropped that money afterwards and I'm guilty of causing them that. Separating Americans or Canadians from their money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Garvin likes it when you do that. What's Ice Fish MB mean? Uh, that is uh, one of my biggest partners. That's Ice Fishing Manitoba. That's their oh. tourism brand. So shout out Ice Fish MB, Hunt Fish Manitoba. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's getting a lot of plugs. I'm just sending send J, send J an invoice. Uh, all right, here's the final plug. We're going to go cook. We're going to go fry up some... Uh, some catch and cook walleye. We're going to fry up some fish. And we're going to put catch and cook on there. There you go. Catch cook. Okay. Tell people how to find you guys. Go, uh, ahead, you go ahead. You can go first. Yeah. If uh, if you want to find me on YouTube, Jay Siemens, J-A-Y-S-I-E-M-E-N-S. Better and, yet, Canadian uh, Angle. Come on. Dude. Canadian Angle on YouTube. We got both rolling. Season two dropping now. And uh, if you want to buy some fish breading, catchcook.net. There you go. Easy peasy. And a real nice folding filet knife. Yeah. You guys selling those like hotcakes. Yeah. They're selling pretty good. Folding fly knife. Really nice job on Thank that. Thank you. Thank you. Those are kind of a pain in the ass, but it's like you don't need to have the sheath. You can put it in your pocket without cutting a hole in your leg. Um, folding fly knife. High quality knife. Beautiful craftsmanship. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Real nice knife. I got one for free. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I would have bought that son of a bitch, man. I appreciate it. I would have given you a discount code. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Mandy, how do people find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram. Uh, just I, I don't have any crazy names like everybody else. I just left it as Mandy Eric, so they can find me on. Just on, old school. Yeah, super old school. Spell it out. I still even have a Hotmail account. Okay. <laughs> That's M A N D Y U H R I C H. I've got my pro account and my personal account on on Facebook, or they can find me on Instagram. Or will you accept them on both accounts, or just on the pro account? Uh, just on the pro account. You'll keep and together. I will say this. this so like, like Joe Blow, who wants to come and be like your buddy, you might not accept him on your personal account? Correct. I, my personal account's full. It's, it literally is maxed full. Out. I'm five, maxed out. 5,000. I'm maxed out. Um, I will say I've been struggling with Facebook because there's actually a full account. They used my photos. It's my name. And it's they say that I'm from South Dakota. And Facebook will not take it down. Like they will not take that account down, and You've it's my it. it's my pictures, it's got a fake account. like really? my like really? everything, and they won't take it down. So I've I've almost considered just kind of deleting everything off there and just going to Instagram. Let's get everyone to report it. Everyone's listening to the podcast. Report the fake account. Yes, they're you, actually going to report the real account, and your real account is going to get pulled correct. down. Now. If, look for the one that says that I'm from South Dakota. I am not from South Dakota. Oh, that's the bad one. That's, that's the, the bad, bad one. one. Report yeah. that one, but don't join it. Crack! Don't don't go to that one. That's not they, who, who's doing that. I don't know. And the worst part is, is they've got a lot of people on there, and I I, I just don't understand. It's it's really frustrating. It's weird to find that person and kick them in the little berries. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> All right, everybody, get the oil. We're we're doing it. it we're, we're gonna replace the smell of a thawing out northern with the smell of hot grease. There you go. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. 
Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.